Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. Thank you for joining us for the 46th episode of the show. I'm your host, as always, Liam Edwards. Joining us this week is a game designer who is ready to throw himself into the deserted island situation headfirst. No preparation required, just diving in straight away. <laughs> My guest got his start in the video game industry having studied animation in a specialized video game animation program. In 2007, he joined developers Way Forward, the studio responsible for games such as Mighty Switch Force, A Boy and His Blob, and of course, the Shantae series. A series my guest might certainly know one or two things about. During his 10 years at WayForward, my guest has worked as a designer and sometimes director on well over 25 games, including his own, making games for huge properties like Adventure Time and SpongeBob SquarePants, and most recently working on the incredibly well-received Shantae games. For the past few months, he's been chilling on my side of the globe here in Japan, literally only being a bridge ride away across the sea. But he's back now in the US working hard once again on some excellent games. My guest this week is the lovely Mr. James Montagna. Hello, James. Hello, you did your research. Thank you. <laughs> I did indeed. <laughs> How are you doing today? I, I'm fantastic. I Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting about lots of video games. Yeah, some very intriguing video games that you've chosen as well. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. <laughs> it's going to be, I think some people are going to be su- certainly surprised by what you've chosen so far. They're not quite obscure, but maybe they are very well-known things that I don't think anyone has chosen before. Okay, Which, cool. <laughs> in, a, in a sentence that I hear myself say back, doesn't make very much sense. <laughs> James, you have been chilling in japan for the past few months as i mentioned and now you're back in the u.s working on some i imagine excellent games right we were talking just before we started recording about you being here in japan and literally being like as close to me as possible with the a small bit of sea yeah you were Uh, just across the bay man we were just across the bay from each other we did we talked about meeting up so many times (laughs) But we never got to. I, yeah, I, I kind of regret we didn't get the chance to meet up. So uh, next time I'm in Japan, next time we'll have yeah. to make a point to get together, hang out, you know, go for go for drinks or lunch or something yeah, like dude. that. We can play some games as well. Absolutely, of course. We're gonna have those switches. By I'll the time bring, I was gonna say, I'll bring well. my switch. You know, let's. You know, yeah, man, we we'll, gotta we'll play some Kart, some Splatoon. You know, <laughs> some snipper clips, if you will. <laughs> but yeah it's it's so funny for anyone who doesn't know me and james talk to each other on twitter and that's right when james is coming to japan i was like dude dude let's hang out you know you're, you're gonna be in wakayama which is like just across the bay from me it's yeah. so cool <laughs> we were like yeah yeah let's do it let's do it and so many times and then more frequently what happened was we would tweet pictures or, or talk about being somewhere Right, like I'm in Osaka or something. within each other. Right. never get the chance. <laughs> like Osaka and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going oh, we're gonna to write this wrong next time I'm in Japan. I mean, I was there for three months and I'm like, oh, this is going to be plenty of time to do everything I want to do. Three months is not enough. Japan is uh, a big place with lots of things as much as like like uh, physically it, it's small compared to a lot of places. about the size of California, yeah. but it's, it's packed full of so many things to see and do. Um, impossible to make time for everything but uh yeah i'll be back uh my goal is to be as portable as possible and kind of be back and forth when i can um and when uh work will permit sometimes you know work gets pretty heavy on games you get into crunch time and that kind of thing yeah absolutely but you know, but, i want to be back so we'll see yeah dude well i know a little bit of how you're doing back in the u.s but 
how is it going back in the US compared to, <laughs> you know, being in Japan for those few months? And also, like, what's it like being back in, like, the office and working on games again, hardcore? Because I know you were doing, like, free, you were sort of working away from home, very far away from home. Right, Japan, yeah, yeah. But I imagine kind of different environment back to it kind of thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's weird adjusting to being back in America in general after being in Japan for a while. I have a tendency to, like, want to, like, bow at people or, like, respond in Japanese and have to catch myself. Like, so I'm like, oh, man, like, like I just finished work today. I'll be like, otsukare-sama, and, like, that doesn't mean anything to you. You don't know what that means. Uh, and for people that don't know, it, it basically is, like, the equivalent of, like, I think the literal translation is, like, otsukare-sama is, like, you must be tired or something like that. And you say yeah. it after someone finishes Well, like, thank working. you for your hard work. Right, um, right, yeah. Right, yeah, just it, all of that encompasses into one phrase is essentially it or just right. like shitsureishimasu like when you're leaving <laughs> right right yeah 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 oh, <laughs> stuff that becomes ingrained in you <laughs> it gets so ingrained so i have to like like rewire the programming in my mind to not like have these japanese tendencies that i picked up while i was there for three months and of course while i was there i was working remotely um doing work on stuff like shante half genie hero and so to come back uh to uh, the office in a world where the game is finally done is a different vibe from when I left and we're like scrambling to do everything we can to like, polish <laughs> it up and finish it. So it was interesting coming back to like, oh, like I walk into a different vibe. It's like, it's less tense, you know? <laughs> <laughs> How, so let's obviously talk a little bit about Way Forward then and the games sure. that you've been working on. Recently, obviously, the Shantae games, you had the 3DS game and also like the Wii U and the, the PS4 version of the the older games, I get a little confused by how that worked out. Uh, there was like a limited run of like a PS4 version or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. We uh, we partnered with a limited run to get a PlayStation 4 version of Shantae, Risky's Revenge, uh, yes. and Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, uh, I believe. So that was kind of cool that finally those games could have a uh, physical release where a lot of people could uh, get them. And, of course, we got uh, Shantae... And the Pirate's Curse now on 3DS has a physical release. Um, something we didn't even know would be possible to do, but enough people asked for it. And, you know, we, we listen when that stuff happens. We find ways to make it happen. And um, we were able to work with uh, Rising Star Games to get Shantae and the Pirate's Curse out physically for 3DS. And it's even out in Japan, thanks to uh, our friends at Intergrow. And so it, in Japan, it's called, okay, let me get this right, uh, uh, Shantae. Kaizoku no Noroi, which is like, I guess, Pirates, Pirates curse. something. Yeah, curse. Pirates curse, essentially, right? <laughs> um, I don't so, know what the word for curse is. So. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Noroi? 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 Um, yeah, mm. I think that's it. Kaizoku no Noroi. Yeah, that's it. So, um, okay. yeah, it's out in Japan, which is really cool. So, whenever that I meet like, cool. Japanese game developers, I'll give them like a copy of Shantae in Japanese. Because you know, that's it's just kind of fun to give your game to people, right? Have you have you been playing through it in Japanese for your like your Japanese practice? <laughs> I suck at reading Japanese, so no. <laughs> I, I I'm trying so hard to learn like all the hiragana and katakana. Um, I'm not trying hard enough. I really probably should like study it. I've been thinking about like if I made like a game or like an app to study it that maybe i could release it and help other people while helping myself so this is kind of where my head's been lately about it's funny because i thought of like that idea before i came to japan as well like i thought about making a game that would help me learn 
hiragana and katakana are better. Right, right. And it, like, I had like a whole design document for a game. I think it was called Kana Quest or something like that. Oh, sounds just, like, cool. A sort of side-scrolling game where you typed the kana of the of what was about like kind of like typing of the dead you know and the monsters would have like kana above their head and you'd have to type it really fast to deal damage oh dude we had really similar ideas this is scary (laughs) oh man yeah i i I think i still have like the book i had when i was at rockstar because i was like i was designing it while i was should have been working on gta 5 but (laughs) so So, so mine was called uh this this, this is a whole book with like drawings of these monsters that have just like dude it's really similar it's similar (laughs) man mine mine was uh katakana invaders that was my idea so katakana invaders like they they would come from the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen with like a little alien holding up like a a letter and you have options at the bottom of the screen and before they reach the bottom of the screen you have to press the correct one to blast it away so it's i mean it's a little different but like the spirit i think is the same we had kind of similar thoughts about this dude (laughs) One when you come over, we'll have like a, our James and Liam game jam, and and we'll make like a prototype. <laughs> I'm so down for this. Let's make it happen for real. Let's do it. <laughs> so, dude, before we move on to your like games list, then let's talk yeah. a little bit about like how you got into the video games industry because you, you it was kind of like a, a not something I've really heard of before. Like you went through like a sp- specific like video game animation program, right? Or, that's to the best of my knowledge of what that is. Can you explain like what that was and how then that led to you, you know, being a way forward now? Sure, absolutely. Um, so my local community college had a video game animation certificate. So I was like, well, that sounds good enough to me. I was exploring options. I almost uh, went to CalArts, um, where a lot of people from WayForward are from as well. Uh, we have like a lot of CalArts DNA, and CalArts is a very famous uh, school. This is right across the street from CalArts, and interestingly, a lot of the instructors from CalArts also teach at uh, this other community college. So I kind of okay. was able to get a little bit of that like CalArts education at my community college, right? So it's kind of like an That's interesting, really cool, interesting yeah. mix. So I was in this animation program, and basically, this school. Um, I don't want to talk bad about the school, but they didn't kind of quite have it together because it was the first year of them doing this program. It was a brand new program. And I was the first um, person to get the certificate in this program. And so I kind of got to a point where one of the instructors was like, I actually don't know a lot about this particular subject. Would you be down to help me teach this class? And I, I mean, we'll just, you'll get a passing grade. I'm like, yeah, what? let's, let's <laughs> do it. So I... Um, so there's a little bit of that, and I was able to develop a relationship and a friendship with the um, the instructors that were there. And while doing that sort of thing, I actually learned a lot of incredible stuff that I still use to this day. I took a storyboarding class that um, actually made my first like game storyboard prototype in, which I think is still available on my website to this day, which is a little embarrassing because it's like where I was back then skill-wise. Um, and like in one like <laughs> co- coffee fueled night, like what I could put together, and it's like still there. I'll probably take it down someday. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I, I guess from there, I was able to uh, learn a lot about animation, which would later help me at WayForward, where we definitely emphasize that sort of thing. But the instructors kind of built a relationship with the um, local game company because um, the 
way forward would always look for a talent from the schools that was like up and coming and wanting to make games. And so they said, hey, we should do like a, a class trip over to the local game company that's in uh, here in Valencia, California. And I was all about that. I already knew about the, the company having like living here and just you hear about this kind of thing. Uh, I've played the games. I played Shantae before I ever came to Way Forward. I played Sigma Star Saga on Game Boy Advance. Um, even some of the obscure stuff, like we had a Game Boy Color game called Extreme Sports. Played that too. So I was well versed in it. So by the time I had this um, kind of like school field trip to Way Forward, um, I, <laughs> that sounds I, like the best field trip ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I, I came with like all this knowledge and. The trip kind of ended up with me and uh, the company uh, president holding away at a coffee shop, and I've got my laptop, and I'm just showing him some of the games that I've made over the years, and uh, I know my stuff about company history of way forward, and uh, showing him just all this stuff. Like I, I'd been making games by myself for many years. I made my first game when I was maybe about six years old. And so I just, in my spare time as a hobby, I wanted to make games so bad that I would just do it instead of like playing games sometimes, I would be more excited about creating something. So I had amassed over the years of just doing this as a hobby, a lot of prototypes and weird kind of cool concepts. Uh, So I was able to show him some of that and it kind of led to something of, hey, come to WayForward and maybe do like an internship. Uh, and that internship turned into, all right, well, we'll bring you on board as a, uh, an animator. And so I, I did some animations uh, on Contra 4. It was the first thing I got to touch. Like, I, they, Oh, wow. Yeah, awesome. when they told me I'm going to be working on Contra, I'm like, wait, that Contra, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and then from there, I got to do some level design stuff and just sort of worked my way up to becoming a designer slash director, which is my current title and current role and that was 10 years ago which is crazy 10 years ago as of i believe either the end of this month the beginning of next month so yeah oh my god wow dude congratulations (laughs) that's amazing yeah man and i hope to keep it going you've got got, like i was looking at the list of games that you've worked on and i was like in 10 years you've had your hands in or sort of worked on so many games like a whole, like, almost collection of video games. I forget sometimes, dude. There's just been a lot of stuff that uh, WayForward gets to work on, um, and I feel very fortunate about that. Um, but, yeah, yeah, there's been a lot. It's kind of a blur when I try to think about everything. Well, One I did specifically want to ask about um, is I wanted to know what your involvement is in one specific Nintendo DS game. Sure. Aliens Infestation. Oh, Okay. Um, I actually wasn't heavily involved in that one. Uh, my good okay. buddy, uh, Adam Tierney was the director of that one towards the end of the project. They were doing like localization stuff and I had to like go in and make like a special font that had all of like the international characters that you would need for a European release because the font they were yeah. using for the game didn't have, um, E-figs like, yeah, yeah, basically it wasn't yeah. e-figs ready. Right. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I actually do have uh, a little bit of a typography background, so I was able to go in and basically work their font to add all these additional letters and i did some like little minor like tutorial like button icon stuff uh so 
I was I was involved with that game, but only in kind of just like a, a fringe, like side way. But that was kind of cool because I got to enjoy that game as a fan. That game is so good. It's one of my it's so favorite good. DS games. Like one of those hidden hidden. I want to say hidden gems, like because I've never really spoken to anyone about it. But I picked that game up, and it was excellent. So good. I um, love please do game. think so. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I, I I love it so much. Um. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pass that along to Adam Tierney. He'll be really pleased to to hear your words on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I remember, I, play, I think I was playing it in university. I picked it up. Um, obviously, big fan of Alien. Uh, I was like, hey, right. what? A DS game? And the, I think I was reading something about it, and it was like, this game is like Metroid meets Alien. I was like, well, that's just Metroid anyway, but I'll pick it up. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And, uh, and I was blown away. I absolutely adored it. I loved it so much. It was a fantastic game. It's got fantastic. that that permadeath, you know. It had so much tension. <laughs> a fucking permadeath, man. <laughs> don't so don't get like emotionally attached to your to your uh, to your troops, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. It's so good. It's just such a good game. If honestly, if you. Uh, like either you still play DS games from the original DS or you're looking for something for your 3DS for the time being, try and find Aliens Infestation, especially if you like Metroid and XCOM or whatever. Just do it. It's great. Yeah, bias awesome. aside, I recommend it heavily too. Yeah, it's awesome. But let's talk a little bit now about what's going on at WayForward now. Obviously, you've had the Shantae games come out and they've been incredibly well received. Um, So how has that been the sort of right like it's kind of the aftermath of that now isn't it yeah i mean it's i mean for me it's cool to be able to work with like one of my game design heroes like matt boson it's it, it's just a lot of fun to come to way forward having already played shante as a fan and then get to work on creating the next shante game so that's been just uh for me it's kind of a dream so that's been really cool i started working on shante uh on the Nintendo DSiWare uh, version of Shantae Risky's Revenge, which was the second one. And on that one, I was a level designer. And that was a cool experience and kind of got to know the way Matt works. And we kind of like developed our working relationship together. And then the next time was Shantae and the Pirate's Curse on Nintendo yeah. 3DS, which uh, that, that project was a blast. I, it, it was so much fun. Uh, I was an assistant director i believe was my formal title on that one so uh that was really cool i did a lot of like the labyrinth uh designs and like level design stuff and just um just general kind of like game design stuff with that too and like placing like goodies and helping like figure out how certain enemies and things should work um and it was good fun and so uh shante half gene hero i'm just kind of a designer on this one i'm helping uh write some of the script and dialogue that you'll read in the game and like formatting things and uh that that sort of thing and now we're going to be working on um additional content uh as promised by the kickstarter so um it's been just a lot of fun to be a part of the growth of a series that i was once a fan of and kind of shaping the future of it so it's kind of i guess i'm coming at it with some interesting perspective of being on both sides right yeah, it must be super cool because it also seems quite validated as well because, you know, you, uh, you know, Shantae Half Genie Hero, which is like an actual like fully fledged console game. Um, it was a Kickstarter and it was a, an incredibly successful one. And, you know, you guys got to then work on that and also the 3DS games and stuff and seeing all the response from 
the people who are like reviewing it or playing it must be really really cool oh yeah it 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 feels great when i can like watch someone play the game and they approach something just the way you expect them to or like a funny line like catches them off guard and they they laugh and it's it's it, it it feels good, man. Like the 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 good reviews, it feels awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, you mentioned the Kickstarter. I'm really thankful to everyone that backed the Kickstarter. Like, really, this game wouldn't exist if it weren't for the support that we received and the people uh, backing the project. So uh, yeah, I guess I'll take this opportunity to say thank you to everyone that contributed. It's it's awesome to be able to make a game f- directly for the fans. You know exactly man sounds awesome it sounds like i i know you're not in japan anymore and stuff but it sounds like things are still pretty damn awesome and yeah still, man. <laughs> still trucking along really really fucking good man thank you well dude i think it's about time we start talking about other games then not way forward games. yeah let's do it we start let's talking it. about games that you've chosen specifically for final games <laughs> uh the eight games you're going to be taking with you to the deserted place we'll talk about it in a oh, little boy. bit um <laughs> You said to me that you were going to throw some curveballs, and I think I think you've done that. There is someone here that I don't think anyone will expect. Are you familiar you... with uh, most or all of them? I'm familiar with all of them but one. Okay. Okay, so, I think I might know which one so you're is, familiar with. So that's pretty good. That's a good start. It's yeah, not that's like great. you are uh, Ray Chase, who, who plays Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, who uh-huh. picked lots of DOS games that I had no idea about. So Oh, I'll have to listen w- to that one. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're good today. My knowledge is safe, and I can actually engage in a conversation. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but I think it's about time we get straight into the final game. Let's do it. And we listen to some excellent music from a game all about rhythm. So let's dive straight into it. James, kicking off your final games list with the yes. game number one, developed by Nintendo SPD in uh, association with TNX Music Recordings, obviously published by Nintendo for the Wii right. in a, a very, I think, I, I would like to say famous series. I, I, I think it's a truly awesome series that I have like a mint condition Game Boy Advance copy of. Oh, respect, of man. Respect. Yeah. That I will not open ever because I I just I it's like my little little piece of music heaven, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but you've chosen the Wii game Rhythm right. Heaven Fever, right? Which is not the most popular in the series, but it's a game I remember doing. I think oh, what was I doing? I was doing like a first look for when I was an intern at GameSpot way back in 
2011 or when this game was released. Oh, okay. And I remember playing it with some of the GameSpot uh, UK guys then, and it was just so much fun. <laughs> but I've not played it since then. But I've played the other games in the series. Yeah, so I, I like this played... one in particular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I imagine I... you played the other games in the series as well. I've played so them all. Specifically, are you choosing the Wii game, Rhythm Heaven Fever? It's a, it's a number of reasons. Uh, I guess that one to me means the most as far as like that time in my life. Uh, I remember I was at E3 when it was first uh, revealed to the public. And I got to get hands-on with the game before it came out. It wasn't called Rhythm Heaven Fever yet. It was just Rhythm Heaven on Wii. And, uh, <laughs> like a lot of Wii titles. <laughs> right, yeah. And I got to play it there, and it was really cool. And the attendant was kind of like asking questions for, like, on behalf of the developers. Like, hey, what would you like to see in this new Rhythm Heaven game? I was like, oh, I would really love to see some of the Game Boy Advance uh, mini games make an appearance again in this one because America never got to experience those so it'd be really cool not only to get the opportunity to get those out there but also to see them in high resolution and the attendant responded you're the second person to ask for that I was like seriously who else asked for it like that guy over there here I'm going to introduce you and she introduced me uh, my buddy Eddie Laheka and he's like a rhythm game nut he uh, is the guy that runs uh, a, like a Bimani uh, website, and basically uh, we hit it off and became really good friends over this game. And after that, when the game came out, I found out they actually took the suggestion, and the Game Boy Advance games are in there. And I was like really pleased. I was like, I wonder like if we made some sort of impact or made a difference by making this suggestion. <laughs> it was it kind of it felt really good. And I remember there was also a big party in Los Angeles for the launch of the game. And at that party, I was able to meet more friends and connect with them and become closer. And I think even like Jonathan Holmes was there, who later uh, I've become super tight with. And it was just like a really good time. And that game has brought together so many people. And I also kind of remember during that time after the game came out, I was kind of throwing parties at my house, just building up my social network of friends around me. And I did like a hot tub party where we projected with like a, with like a projector rhythm, having fever on <laughs> like as big as possible on the wall of my house. And we had Wii remotes uh, playing in the hot tub on the wall. And it was just like a crowd of people. And it was just a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. And so that game means something to me, but also, I like it a lot because it was the first time you could see the beautiful artwork in high resolution. You got the Kotakuchi yeah, art, like like as like, crisp and clean as you've ever seen it. And I thought the music in particular in this one had some really great songs that to this day are some of my favorites. And so, yeah, this I, I played them all. I love them all. It's a really difficult decision, but... Uh, Mina no Rhythm Tengoku, which is the Japanese name, Rhythm Heaven Fever, just means the most to me personally, and I, I like the look of it, I like the sound of it, and yeah, I, I suppose that's why I picked it. It's kind of strange, because I, I hadn't really thought about it before, but the Game Boy Advance game, <clears throat> Rhythm Tengoku, is 
is one of my favorite like rhythm games ever. I absolutely adore it. And oh, it's incredible. Like Tekuchiko's art is like a big reason for that because it's so friendly but so like stylish as well. It's absolutely and, charming, yeah. And and it does. It really does because of the like bold art and the like thick black lines and the bold colors. It does transfer really well into like a full console version. Yeah, and I mean I like the pixel art as well. But just seeing this pure vision of how these characters look is really thrilling to me. And I, I, he's one of my favorite artists. I think uh, uh, Ko is a genius, uh, frankly. And I've liked his art since I saw it for the first time in uh, Made in Wario, uh, WarioWare. It's weird because like, I know that you enjoy rhythm games a lot. Absolutely. You in your spare time, have made your own rhythm games. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've played one of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I can't remember. It, uh, I forget. Why am I forgetting? Why am I blanking on the name now? <laughs> Do you want me to tell you? <laughs> Dodge Dodge Party Club. Dodge something. Club Party. Yeah, that one's not a rhythm game, though. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. Oh, which is the one, like, was it last year? I think it was last year. Mm, let's see. I'm guessing you played... Coco Soko beat prototype. Yes, that was it. It was like, <laughs> what uh, was it like? A, it was on a website, I think. Right. Yeah, it was built into the website. Yes, that was. I really enjoyed playing that. Thank you. It was only one song. It was kind of yeah uh, an experiment. Like, I'm as a rhythm game fanatic. I want to make a rhythm game that's up to my standards, and it's uh, I'm very picky, so it's difficult and as a game designer that's always doing experiments and creating things, I kind of get into this habit of I'll prototype something out and it's a lot of fun, but maybe I'll get a different idea and move on to the next thing. So that was kind of an effort to give people a glimpse into like the hundreds of things that I'll create that maybe I don't release or don't get traction, or don't go anywhere. And in hopes of maybe seeing if it could pick up steam and maybe I'd be encouraged to finish and go somewhere. And that was a it was a fun and cool thing. I still want to finish it. I hope at some point I'll be able to return to it and bring it to like consoles maybe or to phones. But yeah, I was intending to maybe take it down while I develop a full version. But because development never formally started, it's still there and you can still play it. So if you Google Coco Soko Beat Prototype, you should be able to find <laughs> it and play it in your web browser. It's only got one song. Uh, by my friend Clover and Sea Life, and they're super talented, and it's a great song. And yeah, I, I have my secret version with like a bunch of different songs. So hopefully, I can talk to the people that make those songs and get the rights to bring it out for everybody before too long. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really good because I think that was like one of the first times I ever spoke to you. Like, I saw you post on Twitter, you were like, hey, please check this out. Like, it is a prototype for a rhythm game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you like, like, Rhythm Tengoku, you'll like this. And I was like, hey, I fucking like Rhythm Tengoku. I'll give it a try. <laughs> and I actually really enjoyed it. And I, I think that's when we started talking. Uh, oh, I'm glad, man. That was a good way the, to connect with you then. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad here I made we it. Are now, <laughs> talking about rhythm games, it just makes so much sense. Well, I hope to keep it going and do more rhythm game stuff. I have like a kind of a secret agenda at WayForward to get WayForward to do a rhythm game at some point. Well, that was my next question, actually. I was wondering, are you like sat at the back of meetings like, 
Rhythm games. We need oh, yeah. to make rhythm always. games. Always, dude, always. Like, I, <laughs> I'm sure everyone around here is like tired of me talking about doing rhythm games. And um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's a matter of time. I'd like to think so. Once you're in charge, like, that's it. Once you take over the company, just, just, <laughs> just rhythm games. rhythm. Just rename the company as well. Do like an offshoot company or something. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't get too many ideas. But, but yeah, so I'd... Um, I, I'm always doing experiments and little games in my spare time outside of Wave 4. Like, I'll come in my day job, you know, is to make games. And I love it. But I love it so much, maybe too much. So I'll go home, and then I'll make games. And I kind of can express some of the things that maybe don't get the opportunity to do or maybe too experimental or weird to do. Stuff you don't need anyone else's permission to do. So. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So um, yeah. I hope to do a rhythm game on my own. And if I could do one with Wave Forward, if we can make that happen, then it'd be awesome. So... Yeah, that's kind of where my influences are coming from for, I think, a few of the games that I've given you as my uh, my games in this list, right? The very similar vein, that's for sure. And especially <laughs> with the next game, which I think we, sh- we should move on to now. Sure, sure. Um, I think very similar, kind of similar artists, similar style of gameplay, minigame type. Um, it has featured on the show once before. So okay. there is another person like you out there who appreciates <laughs> such a title. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. So James, just before we start talking about your next game, we have to talk about the deserted place in which you are going to be sent to with Uh-oh. these wonderful eight games. <laughs> okay. Um, I've always given my guests the choice of uh, where, th- where they're going to be stranded. Um, obviously, there's no one there but you with these eight games as solace for your desperate loneliness or however you would find a deserted place. Maybe you'll enjoy it. I don't know. Um, but it has to be a place from video games. Oh, this is tricky. Um, so you can choose it anywhere from video games. You could choose the depths of Sen's Fortress from Dark Souls. Why you'd want to do that, I don't know. Or you could choose, like, in the past we've had, you know, Outset Island from The Wind Waker. Very beautiful. Blue oh, skies. that's a really nice choice. But you can choose anywhere of any preference um, with the caveat that there are no humanoids or... or intelligent npcs who can react but there might be monsters so lonely so lonely wow okay oh man this is i'm going with my gut here this is just the first one that comes to mind and it just feels right having just been in japan uh i fell in love with japan i absolutely love it there and so 
if I was going to pick a place from video games to represent where I would be on a desert island. Okay, so if I had to pick a place from video games, having just come from Japan, I think I would pick Shibuya Cho from Jet Set Radio. That's that's a good choice. That's a good choice. Not uh, not exactly what I thought you'd be saying, having mentioned Japan. I was expecting, you know, maybe the world of Okami or something like that. So, I, yeah, I, I intriguing. guess... Uh, I, I like... I like a city, you know. So big, big traditional Japanese city, very clean, very dense, right? Full of people, uh, people in, that I can't in a rhythm with. game as well, <laughs> right? Yeah, in, in a game <laughs> that was like amazing rhythm. music, right? Like so, Jet Set Radio for me is a really special game that almost made it on the list. Probably should have, but there's just so many good games out there. But I remember the first time I saw. Jet Set Radio. I'd never seen a game that looked like that before. I it was my first time seeing like cell shaded. I didn't know that was a thing, and I, I just remember the environments looked gorgeous. It just looked like a nice place to exist in. The characters were like cool and like like had interesting clothes, and I was just fascinated by it. And so, yeah, the, my deserted island is uh, Shibuya Cho from Jet Set Radio because it's just. Uh, it reminds me of being in Japan, uh, in the real Shibuya, and just being full of wonderment and, and like whimsy, <laughs> just looking around everywhere and just seeing all these interesting, eye-catching like graphic design and and shops and things like that. It kind of takes me back to that. Well, you are quite entitled to be going there, and we are going to send you off there on your own. But now. I have to I have to think before the end of the show whether whether we're going to send you with some rollerblades as well <laughs> or, and maybe like a spray can of paint so Oh I'm bad at rollerblading this could this well. could get dangerous but I do uh, <laughs> I would be interested in tagging some stuff that'd be a lot of fun <laughs> Yeah man just rolling around you know when you get bored of playing these eight games you can just go for a skate leave my mind yeah, man. No, I think that's a good situation, I think. Not too bad. <laughs> You'll stave off the insanity for a little longer than usual. Right, <laughs> right. On a deserted island. <laughs> but the next game that you're going to be playing, in a very similar vein to Rhythm Heaven, in a way, uh, not quite a rhythm game, but certainly a game about lots and lots of mini games that you play very quickly. Um, but this one had a little twist on the series and, uh, it was developed by the wonderful and, and slowly becoming one of my favorite developers ever intelligent systems oh, those are published by, yeah, adore that company, um, published by Nintendo directed by the one and only Abe Goro and, you know, had artwork from Takuchi Ko of Rhythm Heaven fame, um, that we just spoke about. This is a Nintendo DS game that released all the way back in 2009 in Japan, and then a year later in uh, our territories, both the Europe and America. It's the excellent WarriorWare DIY. James, please tell me why WarriorWare DIY is the next game that you're going to be taking with you. <sighs> Let's see. <clears throat> WarioWare DIY, for me, is another one of those games that hit me in a particular time in my life. And was the catalyst to 
making a lot of friends. There's an online community of people exchanging games and sharing their creations, and we had like an IRC chat, and I ended up meeting a handful of those people in person, and we're still friends to this day. So that was a cool thing, and so that makes it special to me. However, it's a game about making games, and as I mentioned earlier, I come to work, I make games, I go home, I make games. My favorite thing to do is create. It just feels satisfying. I feel like I'm satisfying something deep in my soul to be able to just put something into existence. So it kind of stands to reason that I might enjoy a game that allows me to express that. It's funny you say that because obviously there has been a increase, especially with the, you know, beginning with the PlayStation 3 generation, I think, up until now, where, you know, the technology pushed us to be able to allow users and players to create their own stuff a bit more. I think, you know, Little Big Planet, and then obviously now we have Mario Maker, and I've watched your Polygon Dev Make Level Mario Maker video. Oh, thank you. Um, And... That I, I after I watched that I thought he's gonna choose that for his list. Spoilers, you didn't, but <laughs> you didn't. did choose a game that allows you to make games in it. Why specifically WarioWare DIY then over something like Little Big Planet or Mario Maker, which is maybe a bit more powerful? I mean, those are all great titles. I, I think they're all fantastic. Um, something about Little Big Planet feels a little too close to work, though. I think uh, something about Little Big Planet is kind of I don't know how to word this without insulting Little Big Planet because I actually do own Little Big Planet and I enjoyed it as a game but I, I, I can't put my finger on why I guess it's because I can't customize the game outside of being it's always going to be Little Big Planet right so I can't create this is James's game this is my world I'm basically working within the world of this other game it's always going to have that little big planet aesthetic and platforming ragdoll gameplay. I, I, right. I, I get what you mean in a sense that maybe, maybe you can manipulate the environment, but not so much the actual gameplay mechanics itself. Right. It's a little limiting, and Mario Super Mario Maker rather is the same way. But I, I love Mario so much that I, I guess it doesn't. It's kind of fulfilling my childhood dream of when I was like four years old with crayons drawing out Mario levels that are sprawling <laughs> across the paper, right? So that probably is a little bit of my Nintendo love and bias coming through. But WarioWare DIY, you can make a micro game about literally anything. And it was fun to draw my own characters. I came up with that in my head and make games that maybe you would never see on a Nintendo console um i don't know if this is okay to say i'm I'm gonna say it anyway we had fun doing stuff like making kind of like etchy or like a little bit like erotic kind of games in like the (laughs) channel that we had because it was just so bizarre to have this kind of um this clash of like you're playing in this like cheery like warrior diy rapper and then like it's like a like a goofy like fondling game you know <laughs> with so, sexy anime waifus yeah exactly and so um <laughs> I, I remember i did one called um and like it's probably like there's evidence around the internet somewhere this one it's called strip tease t-e-e-z and there's a character and you basically like tap and like remove 
like her clothes and it was not like too like distasteful it was you know it was it was kind of like sexy in a charming way and then I, there's another one just to be uh equal there was one I, I don't know if i released this to too many people it's called dirty boy and it was like a there's like a muscular like anime dude and he's got like dirt spots all over him so you have to like tap to scrub them all and like clean his body and then his like chest sparkles and i had uh i gave the ds to jake kaufman uh, vert to do the music for my micro game <laughs> and it was it was fun it was it was just silly you know to to do that kind of thing so yeah we had the one where you're stripping the, the girl and then like you're cleaning the boy just like doing this kind of thing uh not to go too deep on the subject of doing those particular games but it was kind of like fun to have this power to like you can create anything you can whatever your imagination can dream up you can make something based off of it and so i must have done at least 30 to 50 micro games of all sorts i did rhythm ones i did like card matching ones i did timing based like shooter ones and it was so fun to build this community together uh, sharing and exchanging games and creating all these things that maybe you wouldn't typically see on a ds like brands outside of like nintendo people are making micro games about you can do anything and that was just so fun and cool to be able to share these games and create these things and have this sense of community together and of course, WarioWare. It's got that particular charm. It's got the yeah Kotakuchi art, and it's <laughs> uh, it's always a favorite series of mine, regardless. So to make something inside of that wrapper feels especially satisfying. Did you also have uh, Showcase uh, WarioWare DIY Showcase? Which oh, you like bet I did. You bet. Yeah, uh, title that you could. Um, you could then play your you can play them on the TV, micro you know? games on the TV. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they felt good to see your creation on the big screen, right? <laughs> see your big strip tease on the TV. <laughs> yeah. Course, in the office. Oh, it's uh, embarrassing. Everyone watching. <laughs> That's really embarrassing. Hazukashi, as we'd say in Japan. <laughs> in, in this sense, you, you, you chose a Wii game first. Right. So you already have the Wii with you to play. Uh, Rhythm Heaven Fever. Sure. I'm almost inclined to give you a ninth game, which is, is I, I don't think has ever happened before, mm. uh, and for you to take WarioWare DIY show, Showcase as well, um, so you can, you know, play the games that you're going to create on the big TV. It's really kind I, of I the full experience. Yeah. Well, at, well, not the disc, but the, the download uh, as a, a vessel for you to just play this game on the TV. All right, I'll take, yeah, I'll take my ninth game. <laughs> it's kind of a special privilege, right? Yeah, because yeah. you know what? You can store extra micro games that way too because you can put them on the Wii and I just love receiving wacky stuff from friends. Like you get like a shipment and it was like, you have a new shipment of games and you can like rate your friends' games and stuff like that. So I always enjoyed getting bizarre and cool games from friends and seeing what they do too. So as much as I enjoy creating, I enjoy seeing what other people create and WarioWare DIY, as far as the DS game and the Wii Showcase, it has it all. It does. It does. And you are absolutely welcome to take both of them and to make more games. And then, unfortunately, WiiWare services do not work anymore. Um, <laughs> That's too bad, so right? <laughs> we will not be able to receive uh, your crazy, etchy, anime, hentai <laughs> games. But... You you can. <laughs> so I guess that's all that matters. 
Well, James, I think it's about time we move on to your next game quotes. Ooh, okay. Accessory quotes. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I know which piece, one. Piece piece of technology. Right. And so <laughs> let's listen to some music oh, good from music. something associated with this product. <laughs> and let's dive straight into it. So, James, we are going straight into your third game now. And (laughs) I don't really know how to describe this because it's not a game, but it's like a thing that has games on it. Right. (laughs) People are so confused right now. In the sense that if you were going to pick Guitar Hero, well, you'd have to have the guitar, right? Right, right. So... You could pick the guitar accessory and then have the game accompany accompany it as well. In a sense that this next thing that you've chosen is a camera. Um, <laughs> you've literally chosen a camera. This is all about games, James, and you've right. chosen a camera. I know. <laughs> um, specifically, you've chosen the Game Boy camera, which released back in 1998. Right. Um, and the only way this gets on the list is the fact that the cartridge in which the Game Boy camera slotted into the Game Boy had mini games built in. Yes. Built into it. Um, that used the photos and the, the stuff that you took with the Game Boy camera uh, in the games. Yes. So you've done it. You, you've technically got around the rules and, and you've done it. So, James, <laughs> please tell me why. <laughs> Out of all the things you could have chosen in the world uh, on this very special eight games list, right. you've chosen a camera. The Game Boy camera. Right. It, it was just such an interesting piece of software. Um, that, so that was what was developed by uh, a company called Jupiter, which apparently is still around, uh, in association with also uh, Game Freak was involved with it, which is cool because you get like a lot of Pokemon references in Game Boy camera before pokemon had even come out in north america which is really well it's funny because in japan the the game boy camera is actually called the pocket camera right which if for anyone who knows in japan japan isn't necessarily always referred to as pokemon uh, a lot of the time it's just referred to as pocket monster so still to this day so Hi. that word pocket in katakana is still quite important to game freak i think as a company and also at the time game boy pocket would have been the current console to play it on so maybe there's a little synergy with that right yeah yeah absolutely yeah well game boy camera was interesting to me back then because i've always been interested in taking pictures and my 
as evidenced by my iPhone, which is constantly like full. I always have to unload pictures because I'm taking so many pictures in Japan, taking pictures all the time. And Game Boy Camera was the first time as a kid I owned my own camera and I could take pictures of anything I wanted. And what a cool feeling that is for a kid. This is the, at the time when Game Boy Camera came out, it was, I believe, the smallest uh, camera in the world, technically. Yeah, it had, it had like a world record, I think, for being the world's smallest digital camera. Which is crazy if you think about it, how fast technology moved with cameras and phones and all that. And this is a small, like, monochromatic camera with a teeny tiny resolution. But none of that stuff mattered as a kid. To me, just the idea, I can take pictures of whatever I want and store them. And not only can I take pictures of stuff, I can swivel the head to take selfies, really ahead of its time. Selfie, the concept of the word selfie wasn't a thing yet. But (laughs) I could take pictures of myself and I could put them inside of a game. So I was always interested in making games and here I am like affecting a game in a significant way by putting something in it not only myself i can you can doodle inside of it so i can draw something and i just thought that was so cool and i also remember the music in game boy camera was absolutely incredible uh some of the influences that uh hip tanaka takes from are really obscure and so i've always had a good time over the course of my life identifying obscure folk songs like there's an Israeli folk song called Mayim Mayim. Uh, and that song is actually the song when you play the ball mini game, which is based off of a ball game and watch uh, the ball mini game. It plays this Israeli folk song. And I've always loved this song. And I started hearing it in different places. I'm like, oh, dang, that's from Game Boy Camera. What the heck? Like, no, it's not from <laughs> Game Boy Camera. He's just pulling that influence, right? Um, and there's a few other uh, reggae songs that he pulls in from the songs, some really obscure stuff, like uh, Pass the Coochie by the Mighty Diamonds. takes a little riff. He takes a little riff from that song. You can hear it if you listen to the song. Um, I've got, like, a list of maybe, like, eight or nine songs that all are in Game Boy Camera. And just, I remember the music was so diverse and interesting that he's pulling, like, all this influence from. So the music just left such an impact on me. I love the music. I... I want to take that with me on the island while I enjoy my camera. I enjoy affecting these games. But there's one more thing about Game Boy Camera that I absolutely love. Yeah. And having come from this uh, background of doing interface design and uh, user interface and kind of user experience, I always love menus. I love making menus. Uh, I love graphic design menus. I'm a big fan of, for instance, like in Smash Brothers, Masahiro Sakurai's menu design. You see that in like Kirby Air Ride, Mayday Rose. I, I like that kind of thing. But I always have had a keen interest in user interfaces, and Game Boy Camera does it up crazy. There's so much gonzo stuff going on, and it's all over the place. Mario Paint's a really similar game uh, in regards to menus just being really just wackadoo. And so you've got this kind of like gonzo menu system of in one place you're in a mock rpg screen and you have to go to the screen to get to the camera function and every time you go to it there's a different occurrence it's like what will you do and there's like like a small lost boy 
<laughs> or there's like a, a princess and it says welcome to my parlor and you go like run if you pick run you get like these like, faces <laughs> it's like what are you running from and those faces will haunt my dreams <laughs> and just something about that taught me a lesson as a game designer that it's okay to have a sense of whimsy things don't always have to make sense it feels good and fun and interesting maybe that's just okay enough right so i really have always liked the concept of just these disparate different styles in a menu well it's weird because the the trend of the first three games uh (laughs) including the game boy camera that you've chosen to definitely have that sort of weird definitely nintendo but as you said gonzo style like especially you know WarriorWare and Rhythm Heaven have uh, Ko's artwork and especially WarriorWare has that weird wacky style that there just isn't anywhere else. It's all over the place style. You have like real life photos of people in the game. You have like super cartoony stuff. You have super sketchy stuff. You have stuff that looks like like a garbage drawing but it's charming, right? You know? Absolutely. It's that weird Japanese I would say it is even present now. It's not just a thing that happened during the the early 2000s. Um, and I, I think there was a lot of it during the PlayStation era as well with like weird shooters and uh, rhythm games. But there is that strange Nintendo touch sometimes that is uniquely Nintendo, but you're like, hey, that doesn't look like Mario or Zelda. Right. It's an amazing aesthetic. And it carries over even today in stuff like Mario Maker. You see like the, the cat paw come slam in like like that kind of thing um maybe not so much these days i i actually wish a little bit they'd go as crazy as they used to but um you see it in mario paint the talent studio like uh, 64 disc drive ones you see it in uh, WarioWare, as you mentioned it's uh it's it's really a uniquely nintendo thing in some ways other games definitely did it though. a lot of japanese games really kind of explored that that crazy aesthetic and um i just found it so appealing and inspiring so for all the above reasons game boy camera just has a special place in my heart um i've even thought about doing like a tumblr blog of like game boy camera photos because to this day just the lo-fi aesthetic is just there's something really special and cool about it It, it's become like almost like a little cyberpunk right (laughs) this sort of it's almost kind of weirdly creepy like i can imagine a film (laughs) in 10 years time using technology from like the game boy camera to take like weird black and white lo-fi photos that right, were like right. of a murder scene of something or like How some cool weird murderer yeah. who's killed people and taking photos <laughs> of them with a game boy camera or something. i would watch that that sounds really <laughs> so i hope I i've justified remember, like, my the weird press choice photos or like the sort of associated photos with the game boy camera were like right incredibly creepy photos of men who had like weird shit drawn all over their faces pulling incredibly strange poses that was That's it like yeah my memories of the game boy color <laughs> game boy camera yep <laughs> well james do you it technically has games on it we didn't really talk about the games too much because i imagine they're the afterthought to what is really the reason you're taking it um but you can have it, and you can take it with you. I hope I've justified so, it enough. <laughs> I think you've, I think you've done it in a way that is unexpected. Obviously, it has the the mini games on it, and the mini games are they were kind of fun, but obviously yeah. they were 
a means to an end for you to use the camera. So not exactly Nintendo's main focus when developing <laughs> this piece of technology. Um, but it's very intriguing that the reason you would take it is because of like the UI design and just the weird aesthetic of it that hasn't really been seen elsewhere. It's kind of more of a sentimental piece than it is actually a viable gaming option. I guess I suppose so, but I would still visit it sometimes and it feels good. And I can listen to the music, so hey. <laughs> Excellent. Well, speaking of music, right. we're going to move on to your next game right now. God, okay. l- look look at that transition. We're going to listen to some excellent music from Smooth. this next game, which I think people might be able to guess is also a rhythm game, um, but not a Nintendo one mm. this time. We're looking at the the old the old rivals the old rivals across the across the way, and let's just dive straight into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Space Channel Five. Five, five. Jumping into James's next game, then we are looking at the Dreamcast, and we are looking at a game that is a sequel to a very famous rhythm action game. Not too many people talk about the sequel. Well, there, I, there was a two, I think, part two and part three um, to the original game. A lot of people talk about the original game in very high regard. I myself and some very close friends of mine absolutely adore this game. Uh, this game, though, specifically. Released on the Dreamcast, the PlayStation 2, and has also been released on like Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Network, as well as Steam. Um, it was developed by United Game Artists and published by Sega and produced by the one and only Tetsuya Mizuguchi the, of Red's fame. It's the wonderful, wonderful Space Channel 5 Part 2. James. Uh, there actually isn't a Part 3. There, I wish there would be a Part 3. Oh yeah, the, yeah, so what I was thinking of is the Game Boy Advance, the, the Game Boy Advance game, and also more recently when I was at Tokyo Game Show last year, they had the Space right. Channel Five VR, right? And that they were like, "Hey, this is kind of like Part Three, but kind of not so much because it's just Space Channel Five with VR." So I sure um, hope that turns into a product. Maybe, yeah. But the I, demo was awesome. I want to see really, really good. On VR. Very impressive. Oh, you're lucky you got to try it, huh? Yeah, yeah, but there was a huge line after that for people. <laughs> I got lucky because the VR section in Japan was not so uh, well populated. Oh, rough, rough. <laughs> well, I think it's an well, amazing not- game, so I, I hope they'll do more of it, you know? So then let's talk about specifically why you've chosen Space Channel 5 Part 2. Well, Part 1 was good. I thought Part 2 improved on it 
it being the core concept of what Space Channel 5 is in every single way. Every way the story was great, the the music was awesome, uh, the new characters were great, the twists, just everything about it. But more than anything else, uh, this is something that Tetsuya Mizuguchi talked about a little bit in his uh, res postmortem at GDC, I guess it was last year, the call and response. Now this is a concept done in a lot of rhythm games, but call and response is a little bit like that Simon Says mechanic. You see it in Res, you see it in Space Channel 5, so Tetsuya Mizuguchi in particular really tends to gravitate towards this. Even stuff like Parappa the Rapper, they they do this kind of thing. Um, I think human beings naturally like to synchronize with rhythm, and the call and response feels satisfying. So Space Channel 5 is just a satisfying game to play on, on a just basic human level. It feels good when it's like up, down, left, right, choo, choo, choo. And then you do it <laughs> up, down, left, right, choo, choo, choo. And it's just so satisfying. It's so to me, it's just like it feels good to play. So that's number one. But you know, there's a lot of games that feel good to play. So this has a lot more going for it than just that kind of feel-good call and response. I think visually it's a stunning game. You have this kind of like like 60s retro future pop art style. Ulala as a character is this cool, sexy reporter and it's just what a charming character and what a charming world of Space Channel 5. I like the relationship between her and the other characters like uh pine and pudding and uh jaguar and of course who can forget space michael which was michael of jackson course. right <laughs> so this it, game has it, michael has jackson in it. in it as well like a, right a, yeah a thriller dance of, i mean best game ever right I, I mean how can you argue with that right <laughs> so it has the legend in the game um so I, I just fell in love with the world and so not only does it, this game feel good to play looks beautiful and the characters are just really appealing and charming and i still remember the music to this day every single song i can talk out the script like on cue in my mind while i play i know i know it by heart and every now and then it just feels good to go back to so if i was going to go on a island i'd certainly want to be able to revisit this game that i love uh more it's really weird because you've chosen two games on this list. Uh, the first one being obviously Rhythm Tengoku and Space Channel 5. Both games inspired by music and rhythm, um, but specifically because these are both Japanese games, uh, they both kind of have origins in a, in a similar area, right, which right. is um, kind of strangely close to home for me because I live in an area of Japan uh, called Shikoku. Like, uh, it's uh, one of the islands of Japan. It's very small compared to the rest of Japan. But in the prefecture next to where I live, Tokushima, they have this very famous historical dance festival mm. called the Awa Odori, like the, the summer dance festival, um, which takes place during Obon, which is the Japanese summer festival, which is one of the more important festivals of the year. Oh, I love it. And both... 
Space Channel 5 and uh, Rhythm Tengoku are, were partially inspired by this dance festival because the dance is... The rhythm is... never ch- It never changes, but, it, it, but the dancers change their dance to the rhythm constantly. We, it, hard to describe. The rhythm stays the same and people walk down the street dancing, but they are always changing the dance, but right, staying right. in sync with the rhythm, which yep. is kind of like... The reactions that you need to do, especially in Space Channel 5 with the choo-choo, up, down, left, right. Um, but you can see the sort of uh, blueprints of it, especially in Space Channel 5 because, the you know, the rhythm rogues. The right, ends. yes, yes. In, in, in Japan, uh, they're called the Odori Dan. Right. Uh, like the dancing devil, like the dancing bad guys, essentially. <laughs> right, right. And, um, you know, they kind of have that inspired look from the Our Odori. So... It's kind of cool that you've chosen two games about a festival that is really close to where I live. <laughs> and it's that very Japanese thing. Sorry, James. That, that very Japanese thing of uh, what Japanese developers do. Like, everyone goes on about Miyamoto and how he's created games based on his, like, childhood or, like, walking around in his garden and he made Pikmin. <laughs> right. It is an incredibly very Japanese thing to basically just take something that happens in your everyday life and then make a game out of it. And... That's what's happened here. Yeah, those games were definitely inspired by that. And I have to say, uh, I was going to tell you a second ago, uh, Bono Dori inspires me too. I love it. I love going to Obon Festival every year. I love doing the dances. It's Dude, I'm obsessed so with awesome. it. It's so good. It, it feels so satisfying just to synchronize with everybody and dance in a line. I I remember I, I took uh, my girlfriend, fiance now there, as our first date. And uh, it was just like such a fun time. And then years later, uh, I ended up proposing to her at uh, Obon Festival, and we did a uh, Bonodori dancing, and it was just so much <gasps> fun. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Azakashi. <laughs> so it was, it was just a lot of fun. So for me, um, that's really special, and I've always told people, like, oh, it's like a rhythm game. You have to come try it. Just like, don't be shy. Come dance. Like, and you will learn the dances just by going in line and like throwing yourself in the line yeah, and trying absolutely. it. And so I, I'm obsessed with it. I love going to the festival. I love doing the fest, Japanese festival dancing. And I've always thought it's like a rhythm game. So it's so funny that you've drawn that comparison because I've always felt that. And I've always like wanted to do a game kind of inspired by that in particular as well. It's amazing because it is that very Japanese thing where you just take something from your everyday life and right. then you you put a weird game spin on it or or the mechanics of a game are inspired by something that is ingrained in your everyday life and it has happened with you know the dancing in the obon festival like the way the ladies dress at obon as well with the the special right. kimonos and, yeah, that, yeah. and the, the weirdly moon crescent hats you know that is like directly in rhythm tangoku you Absolutely. can see those ladies in that game and no one in the West would really know about it, and it just seems like this quirky sort of design. But you know, these these will be designers like uh, men and women who have grown up going to Obon Festival every year uh, during their childhood and seeing people dance and getting you know enthusiastic about it, like you have. And then you know, making a game out of something that doesn't seem very game like it's it's so incredible and interesting to to find the origins of stuff like this. Absolutely. And I, people ask me sometimes, like, where can you find inspiration for games? And, of course, playing other games is very important. But I think if you want to find really great inspiration f- for a game, do other things besides playing games. Just 
go out, have a lot of experiences because you'll be amazed the way you find influences. For me personally, uh, I'm a big fan of fashion. The fashion industry has inspired me. And so I want to find a way to fold that into games. Uh, festival dancing, like we've just discussed, is one. Um, of course, I love taking pictures. So you put that into a game. And that's really, I don't know if that's more of like a Japanese approach to the creative process or, I mean, certainly it works for me. That's kind of the way I do it. I'll find little things from games. And we did a Wonder Momo game, actually, as a quick aside. Um, Wonder Momo is like my spirit game because the original arcade game of Wonder Momo came out the day I was born. And then later I ended up directing like a new Wonder Momo game, which uh, currently is not available. Hopefully you can work on getting that out there again because I think like the uh, department of Bandai Namco that was closed that uh, had that. So the game was taken offline, but yeah, it's a 2014 wonder Momo game, uh, really beautiful. And so of course I had to do a stage based on, uh, uh, Obon festival. And so there's a level in that game and I had Jake Kaufman do the music and I basically gave him a bunch of like Japanese festival music and he oh, did it amazing, up and it's got like bro. the call outs. It's got like the, like, yes, that's sad. It's like, got like, all the it's really authentic like he used like like oh we have to get the authentic instruments and he did it all out um i hope we can get that game out there again someday or at least the music i want to play amazing. i want to play that dude I i'll see if i can so i can hook Wonder you up Momo somehow even something i've even thought about for like years and years and years <laughs> right like right old arcade beat em up for those of you who don't know oh, uh, made by uh namco right um i didn't know you did like a, a like a sort of remake of that yeah, we, we, and we really, like, I was a fan of the original game for many years, so it was kind of, like, cool to explore that brand and do it up and do, like, a new modern Wonder Momo game. And so a lot of the influences, just kind of, like, bring full circle back to the subject, a lot of the influences for, like, the levels and environments you see came from my personal experiences of, like, being obsessed with Bonodori and, and being a bit of a Japanophile, I say a bit, um, and just like <laughs> it's places hard, it's I've hard gone. sometimes because the word seems so dirty, but it just becomes so true. Right, right. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things that you kind of, <laughs> it can give the wrong impression to some people, but I hope people understand where I'm coming from. Um, but the but yeah, so is that, it really, is that, uh, and aside from games in a sense that culture around Japan, obviously right. you have the sort of Japanophile culture, which is a bit more like what you and me are inspired by in a sense that, Things that happen in Japan culturally, like the uh, Odori festivals and Oban and stuff like that, and uh, Japanese fashion, Japanese music. And then obviously you have like weeaboo culture, which is more right, anime right. <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of otaku stuff. Right? Yeah, more more otaku, more related to like anime or like uh, video games in a sense. Right. But dude, I, I want to play this, this Obon <laughs> I want to do, get that game out of here. Let, let's play it. Let's do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, see, I'll see what I can do. We'll, we'll see if we can make it happen. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, I think it's about time we move on to your next game, which I think so far is the most normal game that you've had down, like in quote unquote normal. Okay, okay. Um, but we're sticking obviously with Nintendo because, yes. I mean, who else are we going to talk about, James? So, <laughs> of course. So let's listen to some wonderful music from this next game which is a collection of games. So James is once again somehow cheating the system and <laughs> not only taking nine games, but he's now taking, what, like 13 games, I think? Something like that. Um, <laughs> I'm <collection>. a stinker. <laughs> <laughs> but it does technically all come on one Super Nintendo cartridge. 
So let's listen to some excellent music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. on James's list is a collection. It's it must be one of the first collections in video game history, I think. Because obviously now we get like HD remasters of games that all come bundled together or uh you know back in the day we used to have PC collections of 90 games in one, but very early on back in the 90s Nintendo being Nintendo were kind of ahead of the curve and they created an All-Stars collection of some of the best Mario games up until that point. Essentially all of the Mario games up until that point. Directed by Takeshi Tezuka and developed by the wonderful Nintendo EAD team. This is a game that I recently purchased for like a dollar um, in a hard off here in Japan. Which oh, I was score. incredibly happy about. Um, released in Japan as Super Mario Collection. We know it as Super Mario All-Stars. It features Super Mario, re- well, enhanced remakes. I-, I guess even back in 1993, we were having HD-esque remakes right. um, of Super Mario Bros., Super Mario Bros. 2, Super Mario Bros. 3, and Super Mario Bros. The Lost Levels, or Super Mario USA, as some of you know it. And there was a sort of an additional, an additional version which came with Super Mario World as a playable title too, but that was not released in Japan. James, Super Mario All-Stars. Right. I can kind of guess why you've chosen it. Because, like, if you're going to choose Super Mario World, but miss out Super Mario Bros. 3, don't bother. Just choose right. Super Mario All-Stars. What a tragedy that would be to not be able to play both of some of the greatest games ever made, right? Um, it's funny because I kind of posed this question. In one of the very early episodes of the show, I spoke to one of your old way forward dudes, Um David um, from Yacht Club Games. Oh, David D'Angelo. Good guy. I yeah. like that guy. And yeah. he chose Super Mario Bros. 3, and we spoke about why that respect, instead respect. of Super Mario World, and both neglecting the fact that we could have just talked about Super Mario All-Stars. So you <laughs> are smarter than the average bear, for sure, about choosing this one. <laughs> All right, so I was trying to be a little like uh, a little cheeky and clever, but actually, Super Mario All-Stars, uh, to me, uh, is another one of those games that was really meaningful. I remember... It was kind of, at first, a limited release in North America, and uh, I was a kid at the time. I must have been six years old or seven years old when Super Mario All-Stars came out, and I remember my mom making sure to be there at the right day to make sure we could pre-order the game, because it wasn't going to be available if you didn't pre-order. In fact, I think it was like an exclusive for at least a little while. It was like an exclusive. You only were able to get it by pre-ordering it, so it meant a lot to me that she would go through this trouble and 
pre-order this for me. But that particular version of the game, I put so many hours in, and if I had a hazard to guess, I would say I put more time in Super Mario All-Stars versions of these classic games than I did the actual original ones. So, of course, I did grow up on the originals, but these are the versions that I was playing so much for hours on end, and they're the ones that kind of stick with me. So, there is that. But, of course, the other side of it is these are amazing games. These are the types of games that influenced me to become a game designer. I was telling you earlier, I think maybe before the uh, before we actually started recording the show, that I grew up like just drawing and drawing and making like Mario levels on paper because yeah, yeah, I just wanted to make games so badly. I would do anything to make a game, and so Mario was the thing I always imagined making. Right, so for me, it was inspirational. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Super Mario All Stars versions of the games were just some of my favorite because those are the ones I put time in with and yeah that's that's why I would pick that one and of course hey it's a collection of games so I got a lot of mileage out of this one <laughs> it's a collection of some of the best platformers of all time essentially and to be able to take Super Mario Bros 3 and Super Mario World to me is like I mean it's a no-brainer an absolute no-brainer and there wasn't really, like, HD versions of stuff, but, of course, being able to kind of play to someone's nostalgia, even back then, I had a sense of nostalgia for, like, Mario 2, you know? So to be able to revisit that on Super Nintendo, like, what a cool feeling that was as a kid. Like, oh, I know this game, I want to see how they handle, like, what does Mauser look like? What does, like, Wart look like in, like, Super Nintendo yeah, graphics? it's... It's super weird because, like, people obviously think, oh, my God, they had, like, a Super Mario collection back in 1993, but Mario was, like, still a young kind of thing. Well, actually, like, between Super Mario Bros. for the NES up until the collection was 10 years. Right. Mario had been around for, like, obviously his Jumpman before that, but as himself for 10 years, a whole decade, which even now Skyrim is not 10 years old and it has an enhanced remake and that kind of thing. So it maybe made sense to Nintendo at the time to do such a thing. Yeah, I would imagine so. And it's like, maybe if people didn't play the original Mario games, but they have Super Famicom or Super Nintendo, now's their opportunity to kind of familiarize themselves with the entire series. And I mean, I, I I think I was maybe a little too young to maybe understand. I played Super Mario World when I was younger and obviously then played like Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Mario. But I, I, I don't think I ever got the concept of a collection around. But imagine just being a kid and I, 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 like you growing up, obviously, but receiving this box that would just last you years, like for, for so long. And I'm sure I played that more than any other Super Nintendo game. In fact... I remember putting so many hours into it that there was a contest in Nintendo Power, which in North America is like the Nintendo, like, or was, the Nintendo kind of gaming magazine, and they had a contest where it was uh, the No Warping Contest, Get to World 9, and if you get to World 9 in Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels, which was included for the first time, which is Japanese Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, American players had never played these levels. If you could play the entire game without using a warp zone you'd get to a special world called world nine that was up in my life to that point one of the greatest gaming challenges i ever took on and 
it was tough as nails. I remember as a kid getting so frustrated, I wanted to throw the controller, yelling at the TV, and just trying and trying and trying, staying up late, like skipping my homework, and just everything I could to get to this World 9 before the contest ended. And I was too slow. The contest oh, no. ended, and I couldn't do it, but... I called up Nintendo, or rather, I had my parents call with like me kind of on the line, like vouching for this. Uh, I had my parents call. I don't even know how they got the number or what we did, but we called Nintendo. I'm like, hey, um, uh, my son got to World 9. I'm like, yeah, I really did it. It was like this and this, and then I did this. And they said, okay, you know what? Even though the contest is over, we do have some of the prizes left. We're going to go ahead and mail one to you. So I still have this letter. And to this day, it's one of my most prized possessions. It's a letter from Nintendo congratulating me on getting to World 9, being a super player. And it's an iron-on patch of Mario in a pipe. And it says, no warping, Super Mario Brothers Lost Levels. <gasps> and to this day, it's like I, it's one of my most prized possessions. And Dude, that sounds amazing! So that's why Super Mario All-Stars is special to me. You're going to obviously take the patch and the letter with you to the island, right? Obviously. I have to, man. It's my most prized yeah. possession. <laughs> Dude, is is there a picture of that online? Have you ever posted a picture of that online? It's hard to find evidence of it. It's, it's such kind of an obscure thing, but I did at one point find an image online of it. It was like really low resolution, like fuzzy JPEG from like a broken website. This was years ago. Maybe by now more people have kind of like recorded existence of this. If not, I'm going to go ahead and find it. I'll scan it, take pictures of it. And I'll tweet it out there. Dude, that would be awesome. Because that kind of stuff is like, there, there was so much stuff going on, I think, in the 90s, especially with like, you know, we all know about, you know, like um, the special gold cartridges of certain games that were released to like competition winners or people who won the Nintendo Power Championships and th that kind of thing. Um, that something like that is like a one of a kind, extremely unique Nintendo item, I think, that people need to know about. <laughs> and it was i earned that <laughs> i tried so hard that. you truly earned that <laughs> blood sweat and tears earned it so much that nintendo were like hey man we'll, we'll sort you out we'll sort you out right you've right. proven yourself worthy <laughs> <laughs> you've appeased you've appeased miyamoto and he has personally sent down a letter <laughs> <laughs> it pleased the gaming gods <laughs> <laughs> well the patch the letter and, of course, Super Mario All-Stars can go with you to the island. James, I'm being incredibly Brilliant. generous to you. I'm not this generous, usually. Yeah, I, I, I feel very lucky. Thank you. I, I don't know what's happened. I think it's you're hitting me in my sore spot, which everyone knows is Nintendo. So right, I'm, right. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to move on to your next game now, which sure. we are, once again, of course, James, of course, we're talking about another rhythm, mm, a rhythm game. Okay. And uh, but a, a, a bit more of uh, back on the uh, unique sort of trail if you don't live in japan then you probably will have no idea what this series of games is all about um too much but it was massive massive over here in japan it still is to this day um so let's listen to some excellent music from this next game and let's dive straight into it
So moving on to James's next game, we are once again talking about a rhythm video game. Um, one that was made by Konami. Obviously, Konami being super famous for stuff like uh, oh, why am I, why can I? Oh my god, why can I not remember the name now? Dancing, dancing, dance, dancing, dance, dance revolution. Dance Revolution, yeah, DDR, of course. Why can I not remember that? I'm <laughs> remembering nothing today. It's okay. And um, this next game was sort of originally started out in arcades with there were I can't remember how many different versions of this there is. Oh, there's quite a few. There are so many. Like there is like DJ versions, dancing versions. Right. There are so many different versions of this game and so many different uh cabinets and arcade versions but there was a home release that were uh, released for the playstation uh also the game boy color and also of course why not bandai's wonder swan right <laughs> which is an incredibly popular console uh unfortunately not it's a good little console though um, it is it is but yet it did receive a home version and also uh i think there was a playstation 2 version in north america um i'm not sure about that but this is a game i don't know too much about but it's still quite popular in japanese arcades especially if you go to like specific ones in like uh shinjuku or akihabara where they have like the the huge taito game centers that have the like one or two dedicated floors oh yes. to nothing but rhythm games right. uh, which i imagine for you james is like heaven oh it absolutely uh, is <laughs> <laughs> they are so overwhelming of the senses but like they automatically get your body moving and uh just quite the experience for anyone who, who hasn't experienced it you should definitely once in your lifetime go to a rhythm game floor in a japanese arcade because it's awesome but yeah james i've dragged on for too long this game is called beat mania right and I don't know too much about it, so you're going to have to take over here. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, it's part of why the have you chosen series. It? Yeah. Um, so why did I pick it, right? Essentially, why do you pick it? And kind of wh- what is it? Like, wh- what version are you taking? Because obviously they're, they're arcade versions, but also the home console version. What is the sort of maybe difference in the way you can play either? And why are you taking one over the other? Uh, that's tricky. Um I do own basically. You mentioned like Game Boy Color, Wonder Swan. I've got all those versions of it too in the PlayStation version. My favorite, wow, even the Wonder Swan version. Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a good few Wonder Swan games actually. I I really like Wonder Swan because I'm a big uh, Gunpei Yokoi follower. But that's a whole another that's a whole another story. Just just as an aside, quickly because I don't know too many people who own a Wonder Swan. I own a Wonder Swan too. Do you own a specific Wonder Swan? Uh, Wonder Swan Crystal. Okay, the crystal one's pretty cool. Yeah. I have, I have the the Final Fantasy three, one. Oh, that's the one I wanted. Oh man, you have the one I want. <laughs> <laughs> I picked it up in Super Potato in yeah, Tokyo. Yeah, that's a good looking for, console for like four thousand yen, I think, at the yeah. time. Um, yeah, it was pretty cheap and it looks gorgeous, but I don't have too many games for it. Yeah, it's a it's a good little system, but that's a whole nother. I I could go on and on about that, and I won't. I will tell you more, however, about Beat Mania. Uh, so, please uh, do. Konami's got what is called the Bimani series, and it's actually derived from the name Beat Mania, Bimani, um, and that's basically their line of rhythm games. But it all started with Beat Mania, and to me, it's a very special game. Uh, it was the first time I've ever seen a game like that before. I went to the I went to the arcade, and. 
at the time I must have been, oh gosh, I was about 13 years old. And uh, I was at a mall. My folks were like shopping or something. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to go hang out at the arcade myself and just, you know, kill some time. And I saw this big, beautiful arcade cabinet. And it was eye catching with like neon lights flashing. It was huge. It was loud and just beautiful. And it had a crowd of people around it because it was a new hot thing. And I just, they're like all older than me. And I saw this game. And it looked like no game I'd ever seen before in my life. I was so fascinated. I, I just stood there. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I, I, didn't even, I couldn't even figure out how to play. I saw all these crazy visuals on the screen. And it, I, it didn't make sense to me. I'd never seen a game that looked like this before. And there I was just standing there. And all these lights and crazy music that I couldn't make sense of. But I had to try it. So I, I got my tokens. I waited in line. And of course, like this cool kids, like they're probably like just a few years older than me, but they just like look super cool and like dress cool and cute girls hanging out with them. Like, oh, a little <laughs> bit aspirational for me. Like, I want to be like that guy that's doing the cool DJ thing and like with the cute girl in my arm. Like, I, like, I, I was like, that, that like this is like the epitome of cool right now for me right <laughs> and of course like looking back that's like super nerdy but um that's that's how i felt at the time it was the impression it left on me there's like all these like cool kids hanging out they're all older than me um and they're all kind of playing together glued to the screen enjoying it kind of like uh moving to the music and so i played it the first time i had no idea what i was doing and i failed immediately i embarrassed myself and I swore, I swore I was going to come back and have my revenge. Uh, and so uh, for my birthday, uh, later that year, I wanted one thing. I wanted to go back to the arcade, $80. I spent the entire day there playing the game. And, when, and after that day, I, just, I was obsessed with it. I couldn't stop thinking about this game. Like, oh, man, I want to know more about it. It looks like nothing I've ever seen before. The art's all over the place and crazy. There's, like, all these visuals flashing on the screen, like, I don't know what these things mean. It's confusing to me. And like, in retrospect, looking back, they mean nothing. It's, it's all, it's all like bullshit, right? It's all yeah, like yeah, crazy, just like visual stimulation in the background. That yeah, doesn't really do anything. It confused me though, but it, it all, it confused me and intrigued me. And the designer, I learned another thing from that. Like, I guess it kind of touches on what I talked about of just that kind of like gonzo, like whimsy that a game can have. Things don't always have to make sense. Like why does Mario jump and hit a question square to have a mushroom pop out that he touches and gets large. Like, like none of these things have logic, but we come to learn it and accept it. And only in the world of video games can we explore these like just crazy concepts. And so this was one of those things for me where it was just like, wow, this is like a video game can be like this, like there's these visuals I've never seen before. So, so I got a little off track there, but I, Came back for my birthday, $80. I wanted nothing more than to just play this arcade machine all day long. It felt satisfying to be able to play. And I went on a kind of a slow day. No one was there. I didn't have to wait in line. And I got good. I was like like training level. Like, all right, let's do this. We are going to like get good at this game. I, I played. I failed repeatedly on and on. And it just left such an impression on me. The songs, I, I had to go and do my Napster thing. Napster was a thing back then. 
<laughs> like I like download the music on like file sharing, like like find anything I could about it. And back then it was called um, it was kind of hard to find stuff because this arcade cabinet was maybe like kind of like a test run thing in North America. It was called Hip Hop Mania. So when I was googling, still still it, had the Mania name in it though. Right. Yeah. So when I was googling Hip Hop Mania, it wasn't getting results until one place I found a connection. Beat Mania. What's that like? Oh, it's more like known as Beat Mania, right? Uh, yeah. So I, I was like, hip hop mania. Like, what is this? This is like really intriguing. Never seen anything like this before. I, I, it makes me feel cool to play. I'm making music, and it's satisfying because in beat mania, different than DDR or other kind of rhythm games, when you press the key, you make a sound. Other games, DDR, it's not making a sound. You're just kind of dancing to the music, but it has key sounds. So the exact moment you press it, it makes a sound, and it feels like you're making music. Like Guitar Hero maybe doesn't have that kind of same thing. It's already like kind of like if you if you play a little off, it'll make like a weird wonky sound. And this, if you play off, it just makes the same sound, but it plays it kind of like a little bit off. So there's something that feels good about the game as well. And I'm all about like games that feel satisfying and feel good to play. So you'll you'll hear me talk about the feel of a game a lot when it's something I like, right? And this yeah. one is up there. So specifically when we're talking about you taking to a deserted island then, um, for those who don't know, Beat Mania is the way you play it is it's like it is a DJ simulator, it, like it's meant to represent like a nightclub DJ setup. Right, I probably should have covered uh, and you that. You have mixing tables and stuff, and the home console versions you can get like you know the type of peripherals that you get with like Guitar Hero, and if you remember DJ Hero, that kind of stuff. Um, so when we talk about specifically taking it to a deserted island, you are taking the arcade cabinet. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's the arcade cabinet. <laughs> so, how did you play the home console versions and how did that sort of compare? Was it great to have it at home? But, of course, yeah. It, it's not quite the same. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was not quite as good, right? Well, there's something about kind of building a crowd around you when you're like kind of being a badass. Like, all right, so I, I really should have described more about what the game actually is because it is a bit obscure. You've got like basically a few piano keys and a, uh, a, a record turntable and you're getting like these notes that are like falling down on the edges of the screen as indicator cues and in the center of the screen is like a visual that's ever changing and even changes when you miss it'll like play a certain visual when you miss but it's kind of got a visualizer that's playing all these little like, snippets of animations while you play and it just looks cool and fun and funky and so there's a special peripheral home peripheral which is a kind of a miniature version of that same like piano keys with the turntable DJ turntable setup, um, yeah. And of course, I had that for PlayStation Two. I had to, I, you know, I wanted to experience it authentically <laughs> at home. And uh, yeah, so it was cool to play at home. But there's something about like the the lights, feeling the, the the bass, like the vibration of it while you're standing in front of the machine. It it, it just feels so immersive. Uh, getting kind of like a crowd around you. People put up there, kind of like in rhythm game or Bimani culture, people put their token up if they want to be the next person to play after you. Yep. And I always thought that was like a really cool thing. Like I just kind of intuitively picked up on it. Like, what are, what are those tokens? Are those, are those someone's like, oh, I got it. People are like kind of queuing up and they're putting their token up on the machine. And of course, I just picked up on that too. So I like that kind of like social sort of like we're, we're all kind of like lining up, playing together. And it's like, you're kind of, you feel like you're kind of in on something like to, to do it up like that. And, um, yeah, there's something a little bit social about it. And I, I thought that was kind of fun to be able to... It's a two-player game. There's two sides to it, too. So 
I would always like invariably end up like seeing someone there, like, oh hey, you like the game? What's your skill level? Let's let's you know, hey, let's play together, right? I'll let you pick the songs. You know, let's just have fun, and you make friends that way. And any game that allows me to interact with people and kind of make friends is really special. Of course, if I'm taking this on an island, maybe that's not as much of like a feature of it, but it's still special. So, yeah, I hope I've justified it. I think you've definitely justified it, especially just from when you spend eighty dollars in one day on it. I think is like that—that's dedication right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I—I I, I was so satisfied too. It was—I I don't I have no regrets about it. <laughs> <laughs> well. This is the last rhythm game on on your list today. We have two more games to go, and this is the last one specifically. And obviously, I think we all know by now that rhythm games is or is one of your favorite genres in video games, like period. For sure. And you have just spent three months in the glorious land of Nippon. And I don't think people realize that right now in Japanese arcades, people obviously have a, a preconceptions about what a Japanese arcade is like. Yes, Japan still has arcades and they are very prominent. They're not like this hidden thing or kind of still obscure. Nope, there are arcades pretty much in most towns. Even like in my local supermarket, there is a small arcade. <laughs> arcades are still a huge thing in Japan. But what I don't think people realize is when you think of like arcades back in America in the early, you know, 80s, moving on to when they sort of died their death, uh, you know, fighting games and, and stuff like that were incredibly popular. In Japan, like rhythm games are king. Like there is no other way to look at it. Like most arcades now are just made up of rhythm machines They're absolutely everywhere like yes my my beat mania drum mania ddr uh, my personal favorite which is chuntium oh um, yes it, they are dominated by rhythm games like and that's it so what i want to ask you james before we move on is that you spent three months here and obviously you said you know oh three months i've got all the time in the world uh and then you find out you've got no time is this because you spent all of your time in an arcade playing rhythm games <laughs> No, but I did spend a considerable amount of time in arcades. I, I love uh, just Japanese arcades. I, I mean, there's there's so many different rhythm games to play. Weird, obscure Japanese rhythm games like Mai Mai, as you mentioned. We don't. I don't think we have that in North America, or at least it's no. Not Mai very Mai is common. something everyone should play, though. <laughs> oh, it, it's absolutely nuts. And um, yeah, so I did spend a lot of time in Japanese arcades, and it's just an experience to be there. Uh, but I love everything about it. I love like kind of the uh, the Purikura uh, print club. Like you go into like the sticker photo booth and you take pictures together. It's kind of a fun social thing with friends. I I yeah. love doing that. I, one day I would love to like instead of making a game, make like a like a sticker print booth. But that's like a staple of like Japanese arcades, right? So I yeah I love that for, as well. I'm for obsessed. anyone who recently jumped aboard the Meet You app train, whether everyone right. was taking kawaii photos of themselves, um. That's kind of what James is talking about. Like you take basically really kawaii version fo- photos of you and your friends. Oh, I took, the, really I took the kawaiiest photo ever. Kawaiiest, <laughs> not scary, <laughs> right? Not, not kawaii, kawaiiest. Um, the kawaiiest. <laughs> maybe maybe a little kawaii too. Maybe a little scary too. <laughs> maybe a little kawaii. I always get it wrong. Like kawaii, cute. Hi. Quite scary. Just and, 
Ah, uh, Mizukashidatene. <laughs> but yeah, like Japanese arcade is essentially just dominated by two things: photo booths where you make cute photos, and then rhythm games. And, and then I love sometimes both you of have them. like Tekken and Street Fighter. <laughs> but even that, you know, obviously we don't have a Street Fighter Five arcade cabinet, so right. most of the time, fighting games maybe not such a big deal anymore. And um, yeah, rhythm games like. We're obviously seeing more of it, and the West was incredibly inspired for a few years by things like Guitar Hero and Rock Band. But, you know, those games came from inspiration from stuff like Guitar Freaks and Drum Mania and just stuff that has dominated Japanese arcades for 20 years now. It's crazy. It's such a big big part of Japanese culture, Japanese, like, rhythm arcade games, and people go and you see people playing these games, like, pro status skills absolute so fucking impressive. gods upon men and it's amazing. women who i, I, don't, I don't know, how they, know do how they move that fast it's incredible it's amazing <laughs> it's, uh, it upsets me that i'll never be that good <laughs> for yeah, as I, good as i get and for and like you know when you see things like coming at you really fast and you can hit all of them and you're like oh my god i'm like a genius right and then like the like the 12 year old like Chugako student is like right. <laughs> in her in her uniform and she's like just she comes like, to show you up that essentially like only a god could have right it's it, it's true it's it's exactly as you described is these people that look really unsuspecting and they come up and play and they have like these crazy skills I'm like I can't do that and I'm like a really seasoned they have, player they have like the gloves the the yep. the card the every the their special headphones and oh man. Yeah, so rhythm games, they're everywhere. They're a big part of Japanese culture. Japanese players love them. And being <laughs> in a Japanese arcade and being able to experience that, I would recommend it to anyone that loves games and wants to experience that side of gaming culture and that side of Japanese culture. Uh, do yourself a favor. Check it out. Do it. Do it. It's absolutely worth it. And it's kind of, I still think, one of maybe the unknown secrets about Japan's gaming culture because we don't get that many we don't get that many rhythm games so if it's just it's something you will have never experienced before so definitely check it out but i think we're going to leave rhythm door uh, rhythm games at the door now and we're going to move on to your last two games now james and although we have talked about obscure games so far the next one is by far the most obscure um it's a game i have no idea about and is once again kind of like the game boy camera in the sense that it's not really a game um and it wasn't made as a game so if I can find some music or something associated with this game now, oh, that's, let's that's listen to tricky. it. And then let's dive straight into James' second to last game. Moving into your second to last game then, James. Um, 
it's not a game. <laughs> it's really not a game. It's not. I kind of I, I fudged it a little, but there was games to be played in this. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it this is a, a chat app. Right. Essentially, not it's not an app. Sorry, but like a program for the days of was, apps. Yes. Yeah, that was re, uh, originally released uh, by Time Warner Air Interactive back in 1994 Correct. Uh, for Mac and Windows. It's like a virtual community client, right? And it's called the Palace, right? So this is James, the Palace. James, what the what the what the fuck is this, man? <laughs> is this? So this is something that has had a huge influence on me, and more than anything on this list, I probably poured the most hours into this. It's, I mean, you could kind of put it in the same vein as like Fantasy Star Online, or perhaps Second Life, which are both extremely similar. This predates both of those, but has shares a lot of the same DNA. So those are both games. While this wouldn't normally be regarded as a game, if you kind of like break it down and look at what it is, it's it is a game. You're you're playing lots of things together in this kind of environment. So, the palace. The palace is a visual chat. It was created uh, by a guy named Jim Bumgardner, and it was originally going to be a casino game where people could go online and play casino games together. Thus, named the palace kind of based off, riffing off of uh, Caesar's Palace, and you would have um, avatars, which they call props, and you have like a smiley face, and you could wear uh, different props and avatars on it, and most people just cover up or get rid of the smiley face and just do a picture of something. Um, this is the origin of like those pixel dolls that you'll find all over the internet, or at least you used to find them everywhere. They all started from this. Uh, you could design your own avatars. There's a pixel painting interface which basically got me into pixel art in the first place. That and Mario Paint got me into doing pixel art, which of course later in my career at WayForward would be a really uh, huge element of what I'm doing here. So without the palace, I wouldn't have familiarized myself with pixel art. And so you're making these pixel avatars for yourself or you're pasting in stuff from the internet and you have to like make sure it works in palace's palette at the time, 32 bit uh, palette. But what it basically is, is the palace is a visual chat program, meaning you, you sit in a 2D room, you wear your avatar on uh, on your little smiley, you wear your avatar, your picture, your pixel doll, whatever it is, and you basically chat and interact with other people. But the fun part about it is they had like a scripting system called Ipscray, which I guess is like pig Latin script, um, and you could code in it too, and so, of course... This was my first experience doing any kind of programming as well. So as a game designer, this had a big profound impact on me. I was doing programming and with Ipscray, you could have little mini games inside of the palace that people have programmed to play together while you're doing your visual chat. Now, so kind of like mods, essentially. Like yeah, right. Their own mods. And it was open to everybody to kind of contribute and do that sort of thing. You'd have like your own palace server or you'd have one of the ones that they make and there's like trivia games where you chat and do trivia with your friends they had a laser tag game where you're physically clicking your avatar to move around the screen and you see other people's avatars and they're clicking to move around the screen you're trying to shoot each other and it was so fun to like play these little games together and then explore making my own games on this uh palace visual chat and just all these games where it's completely social you're interacting and chatting with people even if it's over the internet which i mean it was kind of a novelty back then to be able to connect with people over the internet in that way. 
uh, this is the late nineties, right? Um, you're able to kind of like, you could take a picture of yourself and make an avatar. So it was like really easy to exchange information in a way that normally you wouldn't do in like an AOL chat room. People did, did like internet role play on the palace. People did like just kind of like hanging out and idling and just like kind of checking in every day and like hanging with their usual crew of people. There was clicks. Uh, people kind of like would hang out like and in the corner of a room all the time. You could always make sh- you could always be sure to find someone in a particular place at a particular time. And it's a little virtual community. And I even got my sister into playing it and she wound up meeting a guy uh, when she was like 13 or 14 years old and uh, they were really tight friends online and they're kind of internet dating and then they lost touch with each other and then years later Facebook they got in touch again and he lives in uh, he lived in Australia and now they're married so my sister met what? her husband on this program and I too like, met I so knew that people. was where the story was going but I still couldn't quite believe that it's like that it would have started all the way back in this weird visual chat room. Right. It's crazy. And to this day, I have friends that came from the same community where we played these games together and we grew as friends because of games. Games brought us together. Games made us friends. And now those are great relationships I have to this day. Like I'll be like, Hey dude, remember the palace? And they'll be like, yeah, it was so much fun doing this and that. And, it was the most social game going at the time. Uh, it taught me about uh, pixel art. It taught me about scripting. It had such a profound impact on me. And while it's technically not a game, there was a lot of games to be played in it. And if I had to take something with me, I mean, this is the ultimate hack because I guess you'd have to communicate with the outside world to really experience it as it should be. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> that breaks the rules. That breaks the rules. But um, maybe we could set up bots that pretend to be other people. All right, I could dig it. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot that you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm stumped. You've stumped me. Truly stumped. <laughs> Not only are you taking like one thousand games with you, you know. <laughs> now also chatting with humans. <laughs> Broken all my rules. <laughs> Working the system. <laughs> <laughs> I fought the law and the the law won. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but if we could set up like bots that simulate being humans, maybe that's okay. Oh, it's a lonely world, but I'll I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's essentially to play the games anyway. Right. Exactly. And you can have a look at the funny avatars. We'll set up some funny avatars as well. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you reckon? Do you reckon if this thing still worked now, anyway, there would still be people using it and would have been using it from the very start? Oh my gosh, I haven't logged in in years. I think there actually are still some active servers just by like really dedicated, like hardcore people. It's still around. Uh, I think. Just, I know what you're doing this weekend. Yeah, I'll have to check into it and see if like people are still there. As a game designer, I would love to create something that can bring people together in that way. So maybe one day from James Montagna, you will see like some visual chat software. Uh, slash the visual game. chat action rhythm game that right. brings people together. How cool would that be? I, yeah, dude. <laughs> I, I, that's like going to be like my magnum opus, okay? 
<laughs> Inspired by Japan. Right. Of course. <laughs> Dude, I would buy it on that tagline alone. Just the the although getting over like lag latency over the internet to right. make sure the rhythm game, rhythm game. Every, everyone playing together. That's a challenge right there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, the, that's tricky. You said you're all about challenges, man. So I'll take it on. Yeah, there's got to be a way to make that work over the internet, right? And also at the same time, we have to incorporate our learning Japanese Kana app. Oh yes, as like as like a mini game. <laughs> of course. Hey, you know what? It, it's it it all can go in there. This is if this is my magnum opus, it needs to be the best game. So it, it does just the best game that incorporates everything. All, ever. all, all the above. <laughs> <laughs> and in a, in a way, I felt like, to me, the palace kind of was that. It's like people from all over the world, and you can kind of create whatever you can imagine and whatever you can manage to script in it. So, yeah, one day I'd like to make something that kind of, like, draws from that same well. So, hey, we'll see what happens. But hey, I hope man, I've justified the, my bizarre you're choice. The game's the, you're the game designer. You, you can do it. You have the tools. You have the technology. <laughs> well, I look forward to it. But in the meantime, I think we're going to have to talk about your last game before oh, yes. we send you off, James, which is incredibly disappointing to me because this has been one <laughs> heck of an amazing chat. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, it's been fun. But we're, we're ending on, to me, what is you know the ultimate high note in just any list. Oh, yes. And I, I think it's... I, I'm going to be biased here, and I'm going to say it's a personal tragedy of mine that in the 46 episodes of this show... Um, this series has only been spoken about twice. Oh wow! Yeah, shocking. exactly. Really shocking. Where and one of them was your friend David from Wayforward. Well, previously of Wayforward, right. and now of course of Yacht Club Games. Oh, go David! Who, uh, right on, man. He's got he's got excellent taste. Yeah. So you guys very similar. The Wayforward uh, teachings, of course, uh-huh. yep. <laughs> over the years, uh-huh. and um, more recently um, there was. Another game in the series, not quite this version uh, that you have chosen, but still sticking with the series. So why don't we listen to some truly beautiful music and just wonderful hype music from this next game. And let's dive straight into James's final game. So jumping in now to James's final game, of course, if I'm gushing, it could mean only one series, one of my favorite series of all time, developed by Nintendo in conjunction with Masahiro Sakurai's company, Sora Limited, released for the Wii. Um, it's the kind of dark, the black sheep of the family, 
in a sense. Uh, released back in 2008. I remember, and I think people forget what happened during the release of this game. It, I was one of the unlucky ones. I don't know about you, James, but some people who bought the Wii on launch day had CD readers lasers that couldn't read dual layered discs. Oh no. Which this game had. Uh, so it was a hit and miss in truly <laughs> Nintendo fashion as to whether your Wii could read the disc. Wow. So if it couldn't read the disc, you had to send your Wii away to Nintendo for two weeks so they would update the, uh, I think it was the the CD reader, the laser inside, so it could play this game disc. And I, unfortunately, as someone who bought this game on day one, of course, my Wii was one of the unfortunate ones that had to be sent away. That's rough, man. That's so rough. <laughs> people forget that this happened. This is like a major thing that like some people who bought the Wii in its initial batch of the first lot that were manufactured the the laser inside it was different and could not read because this game had so much information it had to be dual layered which uh, allowed it to store more information on it and unfortunately i could not play this on day one and that was a shame because this game is the absolute wonderful super smash brothers brawl that's right james were you one of the lucky ones i had no problem running the game. I actually didn't know that was an issue. Oh, that yeah. sucks a lot. I, <laughs> I could only imagine, like, the excitement of, like, bring it home and then, like, the downtrodden, just, like, disappointment of, like, it doesn't work, right? I can, I can, I can remember it so clearly because I remember reading, I think it was a Kotaku article back when Kotaku was still just in blog form. Um, and I remember reading it, like, some people are going to have to have their Super Smash Brothers. Uh, some uh, people are going to have to have their Wii sent back because their Super Smash Brothers Brawl disc isn't going to work. And I was like, well, I hope that doesn't fucking happen to me. Right. And, um, of course. <laughs> instantly. Instantly. Um, yeah. Yep. So that sucked. Well, but then I got the game eventually. At least you got to eventually enjoy it. Right. So yeah. Two weeks later, which is not too bad. Um, but yeah, James, please tell me why Super Smash Brothers Brawl is going with you as your final game. Well, I think Super Smash Brothers series in general is one of the greatest game series of all time. I thank you very I, much. <laughs> I've, I've I've enjoyed every single iteration of the series, and I chose the Wii one in particular because it's the one that holds the most sentimental value to me. But also, I probably logged the most hours in on that one, which is really close. Uh, really close. Me too. Neck me too. This melee. is my university game. So right, I went right. to university the year after. So I just absolutely just plowed every waking minute into this <laughs> this version. Yeah. So this is like a particular time in my life, and I remember like going to the um, E3 where it was announced, and they like announced it like a day later after like the first day of E3. Everyone was like, "Where's Smash Brothers?" And then like later that night, they revealed the trailer for Brawl, and I remember it. And I got like so emotional. So I the next day I actually met uh, Masahiro Sakurai, and I, I told <gasps> oh, I'm him. So jealous. I told him, uh, kind of just like trying to keep simple English. Like when I when I saw the trailer for a new Super Smash Brothers game, I cried because I was so <laughs> happy. 
and he laughed. <laughs> and it was, it's like, oh, thank you, thank you. And and so we, you know, we got a picture together, and um, it was kind of like cool to be able to tell him that. But it's true, it, like it moved me, right? You know, I, I was so like, um, I was so like impressed with like seeing Pitt from Kid Icarus. Like, come on, like I I never thought I'd see that. And the crazy thing is, a few months prior, I had a dream, and I told a few friends about the dream, like. Oh man, I had a dream there was a new Smash Brothers game, and like it had Snake in it from like Metal Gear, and, and they're like, just like shut up, dude. And sure as shit, sure as shit, it actually happened. I couldn't fucking believe it, dude. You they had actually the put it in the game. Worst superpower, the I, ability to have premonitions about Smash Brothers characters. Right. So I, uh, it blew me away. It was like everything I wanted out of a, like a, a trailer for a new Smash Brothers game. Uh, it looked amazing. Uh, and of course, the next day, I you know I got to meet uh, Mr. Sakurai. Um, I actually met him both days after that. I had him sign my copy of Meteos, which is a, nice, which is a puzzle game that he worked on with Tetsuya yep. Mizuguchi of all people. Yep. So uh, that was uh, kind of like a really cool thing. Um, and I remember I gave him like a little pin of uh, Lolo and Lala from the uh, Adventures of Lolo series, and I'm like, I'd love to see this character in Smash Brothers, like Ice Climbers. <laughs> And he kind of just like laughed, like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> um, Not like every other developer who has yeah, asked me to do that too. <laughs> I, like, I never knew that like a million people like asked him for characters. That like, oh, I got to request a character. Um, they they didn't get in the game, of course, but like, it was like cool enough. I just felt like cool to ask for like a character. Yeah, at that dude, time of my absolutely. Life. Um, that's so. That's like you've lived out my dream. Although I don't have like a character I could offer to him i could offer him like a stage like the final games deserted island stage that would be amazing right <laughs> that would be so cool it's never gonna happen but hey, a kid can dream eh? hey you never know you never know crazy things happen but like i remember like i i distinctively remember like super smash brothers brawl although has been overtaken as my favorite by super smash brothers 4 for wii u which enough, is just enough. one of my favorite games of all time um I remember Brawl so fondly because although it is kind of the black sheep of the family and the one people don't like the most uh, because of slipping and right. everything else and it's slowed down after Melee and right. all that kind of stuff. Um, it's the one I played the most in university. It's the one, obviously, I had the Wii disc problem with, so right. that sticks out. But I remember being in college before university when after it was announced at E3 and they were like doing what they did with 4, but after melee where they like incrementally released like character trailers right and like you you could like because this was like before like twitter and all that and it's like you you would just like like, i remember going on like college computers and being like oh i wonder if there's like a new character that's been announced and you oh yeah we call it japan time dude super smash brothers.com right and like check whether there was like a new character revealed and the Go to I remember the, dojo, the day yeah. I signed on it was like Sonic joins the battle and I was like <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> like it was so shocking mental. it was amazing right it, it had everyone checking at, at that particular time like I think for uh in Pacific time it was like midnight checking every single time oh what's the new smash update gonna be the smash update and it, it was it was like a whole culture around like anticipating what was next and it built hype like nothing else I'd ever seen it was crazy because you know this was a time before it was kind of the really really early days of social media this was like 2005 2006 so you had to go to, you actually had to go to a game's website not like a game's twitter page or anything like that go to the smash brothers website and it was like this really nice white 
plain page that had like the character boxes then every now and again someone would find out that like oh there's a new box there's a new character and you'd like click on it and it'd be like sonic or pit or like and then right. when snake was announced it's just like what the it was just, it was crazy it was insane <sighs> and then obviously they continued that sort of same way of revealing things obviously in this new modern age of everyone finding everything out instantaneously right with the character trailers from smash 4 which were just massive massive hype as well like what a what a great way to build up enthusiasm like and just the anticipation of like you see like the smash symbol and like it's got the sound effect and then it's like what's it gonna be what's it gonna be like oh oh shit yeah you know like it, it feels good right so they they got like the hype down to a science and that's always been cool about Smash Brothers. Not only the game itself, but sort of the culture surrounding it. It's just a lot of fun and the hype and the and the speculation. It's so much fun when a new Smash Brothers game is announced because there's so much speculation. And myself, I try to be kind of as outcome independent as possible. Like, you know, like I, I, this is coming from someone who like requested a character. Like, I I kind of don't care what they put in the game. I trust that uh, Sakurai will make choices that will make a lot of people happy. And yeah, come, I, I, every I feel that way too, in a sense. Like, it's weird because I always hear, oh, well, when I read about Smash Brothers, you end up either going on Reddit or like NeoGAF, and it's just people demanding characters to right. be in the game, right, characters right. they want specifically. And I, I'm like, I play Smash Brothers on random. I honestly just do not care what character I get. Because it's fun to try the different characters. They all control different, they all feel good. And that's, I mean, that's speaking to the testament of. Masahiro Sakurai as a designer everything feels like really good and satisfying to play and personally of all of my game design influences uh Masahiro Sakurai is probably the most prominent I feel that the I feel like he's a he's like a game design genius and so much of what I've learned has been from him and his games so for me it makes perfect sense to really prioritize Super Smash Brothers as one of my favorite games one of my favorite game series because there's nothing else like it. He's, he's, uh, I think the way Masahiro Sakurai approaches game design of like kind of having this, this, these sort of like Sakurai isms where there's like a checklist of things to do to keep you occupied and you're unlocking things gradually. Uh, there's always like different modes and different ways to play the same game. Like you've got the target test, you've got like the, you know, the, the trophy collecting aspect. So it kind of like, keeps you like playing and you feel like you're progressing and collecting things and it's satisfying it's got a little bit of everything and he, he knows how to like make a game that is something for everybody there's things to do for players that are maybe not quite as skilled there's enough challenge for really hardcore people to get into it and he keeps it really accessible it's not like like a street fighter or something where you have to memorize combos anyone can kind of pick up and know okay i've got my special attack i've got my different directions yeah it's it's, it's just brilliant so for me as a designer i don't get typically too starstruck being in the game industry like uh i was 16 when i asked masuro sakura to like sign my copy of like meteos i don't do that like kind of thing too often but sakura (laughs) is up there he's just he's a brilliant dude so uh to play his games i've learned so much that i personally hope to fold into my own game designs and uh i hope I can make something that honors the work of the people that have influenced me so much, like Tetsuya Mizuguchi, Masahiro Sakurai, Shigeru Miyamoto, 
you know, uh, and even people that do art uh, and create things like like Parappa's art style, Rodney and Alan Greenblatt. Like, I love that art. I want to make something that has the same impact of, like, the first time I saw that, you know? Kotakauchi with Warrior or Rhythm Heaven. It's like yeah. all these amazing influences, all these incredible, like, game talents from across the board, not just Japan, North America. It's taking all these influences and making the get best game possible. And that's kind of my approach to, like, where I'm coming from as a game designer. And so when I look at something like Smash Brothers, here's kind of where I'm going with this. When I look at something like Smash Brothers, he's working with all these different series and all these different people's characters. So similar to that kind of spirit that I would have of like pulling influence from all these different places and all these different games that I've played, uh, Sakurai literally is taking all these different gaming brands and folding them into one game and has to respect like the series. Like Pokemon, it has there's rules, there's things that there's ways it needs to work, you know? Yeah. It needs yeah. to it needs to feel right. It needs to like honor that brand. And I respect that so much. He's like the ultimate uh like character game of all time, but he's also like the ultimate like at pulling in influences from all these different places. So I I've always really deeply, deeply respected that about Smash Brothers. And so that's why it's special to me uh, as a game designer. Uh, I hope that makes sense. I hope that's like... like it does. And it's funny you say because obviously we haven't known each other too long, but I've seen what you've been working on. I've seen what you've worked on in the past and what you sort of do in your spare time with the games that you create and stuff like that. And it's funny because now that we've had this conversation, I can absolutely see exactly where either like you're going with some of your designs or like... It's, it's weird because like... You, I've seen like the art styles of like the games you've made personally, like right. your games and that sort of rhythm heaven style of chibi anime, but not quite anime type. Right. Definitely. That looks like, a, you know, the, I can see where your inspiration was with that. And you're definitely like hitting that tone really well. And then, you know, you're like the assistant director on, on you know, like Shantae and stuff like that. And it's like, to me like when i look at shantae it looks like and feels like a nintendo game oh like, thank you and, wow. and I, I the nintendo game i always thought it seemed the most like was kind of like a kirby game <laughs> thank you wow which is I, I obviously sounds like i'm just i was saying hyperbole now because we've just spoken about it but there truly is like without like the, the most recent game on wii u like that felt kind of like a kirby game to me the way the platforming worked with the powers and the switching into different forms and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the, the, it reminded yeah. me a lot of Kirby. So wow, I, I, I can definitely <laughs> see that coming through. I don't know what to say. Uh, first of all, uh, thanks man. That's, that's dude. That's like really awesome. Like I'm going to like get like all emotional now. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if you felt that comparison, then I, I'm truly honored. That's awesome. Of course, uh, Kirby series is one of my favorites. That's a Masahiro Sakurai game, and uh, it's surprising it wasn't on my list. But I think Smash Brothers kind of like can count for representing the Kirby series, right? And that's good because the best character in Super Smash Brothers Brawl is Kirby, hands down. That's my hands main. Down. It's my main. That's my main. It's my main in Brawl. <laughs> not my main. In, not my main in the Wii U version, but Ooh, in Brawl, okay. Kirby was the best. Easy. <laughs> I agree, and, and those <laughs> games are awesome, and and they they feel good to control and. I know personally when I was doing like level design in Shantae and the Pirates Curse, 
definitely like looking to like Kirby and the way they handled things like uh, looking at Kirby Superstar, Great Cave Offensive and like finding chests and the way they hid things. And of course, I wanted to kind of like take some influence from that. And I was inspired either consciously or subconsciously to do like kind of similar things. So if you played that and it felt like uh, Kirby to you, I uh, I'm honored that I could make you feel that kind of thing yeah dude it absolutely did like i'm not just saying that i swear i'm not just saying that it's funny because like i didn't really know too much about shantae and still i knew you were involved with it and i knew that it was a series that came before and that kind of thing but i'd never really apart from the game boy advance game i'd never really played it before and obviously more recently i played a pirate's curse and uh, the, the wii u game as well right. and it just feels like a nintendo like one of the you know the third party stuff like intelligent systems sure. and all the other developers who you associate with nintendo but aren't quite nintendo they're like a step away in a sense like that's what shantae felt like and when i'm playing it because of the, especially the switching forms to the different animals and all that kind of thing like the the thing that i i felt it felt most like modernly was a kirby game so you obviously did an absolutely superb job of that Thank you. I, and that's, uh, I mean, that's also a testament to the team at WayForward. They're, we are all really hardcore gamers that have grew up playing these games. We, we grew up playing Nintendo games. We love that, that like, like everyone here can like speed run Super Metroid, you know, like we, we play these games, they influence us growing up. And so, of course, that's going to reflect in the work. We've got an incredibly talented staff. So, um, yeah, I, I think if you're feeling that kind of feeling about the game, it feels like a Nintendo thing uh, that's really a testament to the excellent crew at WayForward. I, I, I'm honored every day to be able to work with these people. And, of course, we're all walking video game encyclopedias here, the, the way yeah, uh, the way that I know you are. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> we, we, we love games. So, I was going to say, I'm probably pale in comparison to some of you guys who work at WayForward. <laughs> oh, not at all. I, I know you know your stuff, man. So it, it definitely, uh, we, we love games. And so uh, I hope that that comes through. It definitely does. And you guys are obviously doing a superb job because you know the the fan base is out there they want it they're helping you by giving you their money forward and then inspiring other people to play it and that kind of thing so you're obviously doing a superb job thank you i wanted to just ask you before we stop talking about brawl um obviously we spoke a little bit about characters not being so much of a bother right. and um you asked sakurai to <laughs> like you know a dream to have like one of your characters in you know a smash Bros. game and sure excluding like shantae because she would be the most relevant one being sure. on wii u and 3ds to be in the game and that kind of thing i think it's one of the worst kept secrets that there is probably going to be a smash brothers port for the nintendo switch i mean it would and, be a shame if there wasn't yeah it would be and you know i would happily i spent like what is it like three hundred dollars on the Smash Brothers launch with all the amiibo and controllers and all that crap? So <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> I'm a money cow right here that's being milked. So right, if you could have any character, we've not really talked about games that have characters in today um, right. on your list. Uh, right. You know, some sort of quirky little characters like Wario and some of the rhythm having uh, characters, and obviously Mario. But if there is like a character you could definitely have in Smash Brothers that is neither yours um nor one of the ones you've sp spoken about today what character would you have in smash brothers 
Oh, that's really difficult. You're throwing like the hardball questions at me. All right. Dude, it's uh, what I'm known for. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. I guess uh, I, I kind of uh, I kind of challenged you today. So now this is like right back at me. Right. Okay. I, I'm going to have to remain on, on this one for just a moment. But I think I think a really cool character to see in Super Smash Brothers would be I did mention this character a little bit earlier, so I hope it's okay, but I, I mentioned it in terms of my story. Yeah, um, I think it's okay. Okay. I really think a character that has significant Nintendo history would be really awesome, especially one that in a way could honor um, the late Mr. Uh, Satori Iwata, one that has uh, real significance for Smash Brothers, but is also obscure in a way that would maybe get people... To look back on this series and play these games, because I know Smash Bros. has a way of doing that when you look at uh, Mother Earthbound series or like Fire Emblem. Yeah, absolutely. Fire Emblem, like, look at where Fire Emblem is now. But if it wasn't for Smash Bros., we wouldn't all be playing it on our mobile phones right now. It's 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 so strange. Oh, that's a a good one, too. I'm I'm all over it. I'm obsessed. Uh, But but yeah, so Smash Bros. has a way of kind of bringing these series to light and bringing uh, people... Like bringing them back into people's consciousness. So, for me, it would absolutely have to be Lolo or Lolo and Lala from the Eggerland slash Adventures of Lolo series. I would love to see that because uh, I grew up playing those games with my family, and of course, I remember growing up. I must have been like four or five years old. I went to like Blockbuster Video and we rented Adventures of Lolo. We took it back and played it on my uh, on the Nintendo. And the family would sit around the TV, like, calling out, oh, push the block over here. Like, oh, no, you do it like this. And it was a bonding experience. It, it brought us closer together as a family. And 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 I want to make games that do that for people, too. And so what what an incredible influence for me personally that was. And so I, I love that game personally. But also, I think for Smash Brothers, to have a character that is a game that was programmed by Satoru Iwata himself... That would be an incredible thing. And, of course, how Laboratory yeah, Sakurai. developed it. Yeah. And so you, you have to kind of think, okay, here's a character that carries a lot of history with it. And so um, for, for me, it's always been one of my favorite series. Uh, it's, it's a thinking game. I love playing it with people. It's not technically a multiplayer game, but it's great to play together because the fun is taking place off the screen in person where you're talking out the solutions to these puzzles. And if you don't know Adventures of Lolo, check it out. It's a block-pushing puzzle game. Uh, I imagine how he'd play in Smash Brothers would be really cool. He could trap... Uh, he's known for like shooting a magic shot, which traps his foes into an egg. So you could be like, really <laughs> cool in Smash Brothers, like trapping your foes into an egg and like and have to shake out of it and pushing them around. And he, um, he has a counterpart that's pink and has a bow. He's like a little blue ball. He has a pink, yeah. a pink counterpart named Lala. So, like, if Lolo and Lala were kind of like ice climbers, I personally think that would be pretty, pretty cool. I mean, this is just my, <laughs> this is just my, my like fan going on and on. Like, what I think would be awesome. Uh, everyone's got different opinions. I sure picked an obscure one, uh, and I can tell you just one more quick story why this game's special to me. Uh, Absolutely, go ahead, dude. I've, you can't take it with you, but you can tell me the story. Yeah, that, that, that's fair <laughs> enough. Um, my other prized possession, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, it's a signed copy of the Eggerland Famicom game. Uh, I actually got it 
for like a steal at, at this store in the little Tokyo area of Los Angeles that was closing down. Like we have to get rid of all of our Famicom games. I'm like, all right, I'll like how much for like the whole batch. Here like, is my whole savings. Here yeah. is my life savings. <laughs> Basically, I'm like, how much for the whole batch? He's like, uh, I don't know, like 80 bucks. I'm like, oh, dang, that was less than I thought. I'm like, okay, I'll take everything. So sweep the shelf. <laughs> I got a bucket of Famicom cartridges and in it I found this Lolo cart. So of course that was really cool. I took it with me to E3, uh, and I kept bugging the Nintendo people, like, hey, uh, is Mystery Water around? You know, just kind of being a little bit of a pest, right? But <laughs> I, I, I made friends with some of them, too, and we, we kind of built a rapport over the next few days. I'm like, okay, I can't tell you this, but wait behind the booth on the last day. And I'm like, okay, all right. He's like, he's like just do it. Okay, so I did. And I waited, and I waited. And like they're closing up the E3 Expo, like yeah, come on guys, like, like wrap it up, wrap it up. And I'm like, he's not coming, is he? But then all of a sudden, the door behind the Nintendo like booth setup opens up, and these two big hulking guys walk out. And there he is, Satori Wada walks out, and there I am standing like, wow. Like, okay, like, I'm a little intimidated. There's, like, I, I'm six foot four. I'm a big guy. But he's got, like, these two, like, kind of like, guard people. And then a few other Nintendo people walking with him. And so I go up to him. I said, uh, excuse me, Mr. Iwata. Um, uh, it was a great E3 show. I was just wondering if you would uh, autograph my game cartridge. This is another one of those cases where if I was going to get starstruck over any game developer, you know, it's going to be like yeah, yeah. Sakurai. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> so I flashed him the cartridge and his eyes widened and he just let out the biggest like just like belly laugh and he's just cracking up and now we're both cracking <laughs> up together and he's like, Oh hi, hi, sure, sure. He's like, and he, he takes pen. Uh, and he signs the cartridge for me and I said, you know, uh, one day I'd really like to see a new Eggerland uh, or Lolo game from Nintendo. Oh, okay, okay. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> uh, and he hands it back to me, just smiling the whole time, just like really, just really, just smiling ear to ear, laughing. And he gives me the greatest like business handshake ever. Like it was just like this magnetically charged, like amazing, just like business handshake. I'll never forget it. And I was like, oh, thank you, thank you. And just like standing there, like holding this thing. And he's like, okay, thank you. And he's walking away. As he's walking in the distance, I hear like just really faint voice, and the voice is, "Whoa, that was cool." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude! That is the best story I have heard on this podcast so far. That is amazing. Oh, what a! Oh, it makes me feel so happy and sad at the same time. He's a man uh, that just really loved video games. He, he had so much passion for uh, games, and it, you could see uh, it in everything he does, you know? Oh, man. Oh, I feel like... I'm, it's so weird, isn't it? It's like... It is one of those weird things. Like, you know, you don't get starstruck by many people, but there are these creative forces right. in... 
especially you know people like us who have gone on to work in the video game industry that's become our livelihood and it's because people like you know sakurai or miyamoto or iwata and you know some like western developers who have inspired you to do that and it is kind of like almost seeing like the person who has in a sense created who you are right absolutely at that point and you know you can like musicians and you can like movie stars and people look up to these people but it's a special kind of, and I think the, the obviously the response to unfortunately Iwata's passing was so huge because there are just so many people out there who feel that way as well, and it, it, it's so weird, and it is kind of weird to hear that story and be so happy, but at the same time, just remember that you know he's not around anymore, and right. it's incredibly difficult to think of someone who was so special in in his field and his industry that that is just such a special story and i'm so thankful that we have uh all the games and things that he's created to sort of enjoy now because that he lived so uh you know it's, it's really sad that mystery water is gone but he's changed my life i know he's changed the lives of so many people yeah dude. I, I don't know who oh i would be if it weren't for him and the things that he's done so i'm so thankful and uh, while I'm sad, I'm happy that he has left these incredible things and uh, he leaves behind an incredible company that uh, I love and care about and I know will go on to do great things. I think Switch is going to be a great success. They're going to make so many great games into the future and um, personally, I hope to be able to continue to support them uh, with the games that I do and put it yeah. on their platform, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's kind of a. It's, there it's was a lot, but. that is a perfect way to end the podcast, and <laughs> I I have to ask you the last question sure. for the for the listeners. I have to ask you the last question that I ask everyone, and it seems quite uh, poignant to maybe depending on how your answer goes to end the podcast on such a beautiful story. And that is, every guest gets to take their eight games with them. In your case, what a, a thousand uh, or whatever we've come to now, <laughs> yes. including collections and all that sort of stuff. But if you could choose one console, barring PC, because you can't choose PC because you can emulate any other console on it. Um, <laughs> True. If you could choose any console uh, to take to the des- you know the deserted place, uh, <laughs> Shibuya, in a sense, if you could take one console <laughs> with you, uh, re- remembering the back catalogue and comparing it to others, right. what console would it be? Without a question, Wii. The Wii! Wow! Absolutely. The Wii! Yep. That's... Well, there you go. It, it was his first venture as president. Right. And... Um, an incredibly poignant way to end this episode of the podcast which i am so disappointed to say has now come to an end because we have <laughs> to send you off to shibuya james which right. i'm sure you're going to be happy about because you get to come back I, to japan i'm quite in, all right you know what? i'm feeling pretty way. okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> to play these eight wonderful games that you've chosen and james i have to say it's just been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today oh likewise likewise man and i, I hope and, to be able to catch up in person yeah, dude, hopefully when you're just across the bridge in a few months' time, uh, we will have a drink on Iwata's memory and absolutely. Um, we'll chat some more. <laughs> Cheers to that. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much, James. Please tell the wonderful listeners who have listened so far where they can find you on the internet and what of yours or way forwards that they should be checking out now. 
Oh, well, uh, if you listen to this whole podcast, uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, please feel free to follow me. I'd love to hear from you and we can chat about games. On Twitter, I'm at James Popstar. Of course, Popstar being a reference to the Kirby series. Um, so, uh, yeah, at James Popstar, follow me because I will keep you posted on the latest stuff going on uh, for me at WayForward, as well as any of my independent works and solo projects and experiments I do outside. Uh, definitely check out our latest Shantae, Half Genie Hero. We're all very proud of it. Um, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. It's on many consoles, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Wii U, uh, PC Steam. And uh, so you should be able to play it. Um, if you'd like to check out some of my more indie stuff, if you got Wii U, definitely check out um, Dot Arcade, which is kind of like a lo-fi experimental game. Uh, on mobile, I have an app game called Dodge Club Pocket. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely check that out. It's a it's um it's a fun little game. That's also kind of like a lo-fi, uh, like uh, low resolution experiment game, uh, which is kind of like one of the things that I enjoy exploring a little bit. Um, so definitely follow me, uh, and you can always check out wayforward.com to, for the latest from Wayforward as well. And I hope you'll enjoy my games and whatever i make in the future i make it to entertain you that's awesome and definitely definitely do check out especially half genie hero it's a game i was playing last month it's so good and as i said inspired me in a sense like a kirby games did and it just feels very nintendo so if you like that kind of thing definitely check it out and also just you know WayForward makes such great games as well so you know go back and check some of their older stuff as well so thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games you can obviously catch us every week uh, on SoundCloud on iTunes on Acast on every podcasting thing that is known um, you can also you know rate and review us on iTunes it really does help and and we have something like 40 reviews now most of them are all 5 stars which is incredibly cool and um, it really does help get the podcast noticed and all that kind of spiel. Um, you can obviously find us on Twitter at Final Games Podcast. And you can also find me on Twitter personally at Liam BME, where you can also chat to me about games and you can chat to me about what you think about Shantae and we can talk and James can come and talk too and it'll be awesome. So definitely do that. So thank you once again for listening to Final Games and I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, goodbye. Awesome, dude. Wow. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm, dude, I'm honored. I'm honored.